are you, gorgeous? <laughs> Fantastic, as usual. <laughs> yeah, man. I, that's, like my, that's my go-to word this month, I guess. I'm into it. Yeah. Yeah. How the fuck are you? I'm doing fucking great, girl. Oh, yes. Yeah, we both had trips. We did have trips. Mm-hmm. We were not in New York together. And it was very sad. I know. It's been like almost two and a half weeks. And I we haven't know. seen each other. I know. It was rough. It was real rough. It was. I didn't like it. I know. I mean, I loved my trip, but I wish you were on the trip as well. Ah, I would have loved to have gone to New Orleans. It sounded super fun. You told I me mean, a lot of fun things. Yeah, it's fucking amazing. It's Hell fucking yeah. New Orleans. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I went to Florida. It was slightly less exciting, but it was still fun. I got to go like party at a wedding. So hey. yeah, and like hey. good weather. Yeah, it was good weather. It was nice. Yeah, yeah, because it like wasn't brutally hot yet, which is obviously the part of Florida that I do not miss in any way, shape, or form. So right, yeah, because you went. Because basically, what happened was, is I went out of town, and the day I came back, Amy went out of town. So, but you just missed all of the rain. I did, which I got in New Orleans. Thankfully, but no, I was in New Orleans, so I didn't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been outside at a wedding, and that would not would have yeah. been, not have been good. So, yeah, I'm always very surprised by the brazenness of people in Florida being like, "We're having an outdoor wedding," and like, I'm like, 2 "Are you yeah. not?" <laughs> and it's always like during hurricane season. It is right, and you're like, "What the fuck is wrong?" Because it's that's the only time when it's like temperate. Hurricane season starts like end of August, September, basically. So. That's like the end of the brutal yeah. summer. So then people are like, oh, just throw a wedding in there. I mean, I know my parents, they got married in July many moons ago. Oof. And they were supposed to have an outdoor wedding. Oh, my God. And, oh, I know what it was. Because they had a Catholic wedding. And in uh, 1979, the priests were like, you can't have a Catholic outdoor wedding. That's not oh. I don't know if it's allowed. I don't know if it's allowed now. God doesn't approve the outdoor wedding. Who's the, the only fuck like knows. you got to get married in the building? Otherwise, no. Yeah, because <laughs> because when Jesus started this whole thing, <laughs> really there were so many churches that exist. He was a carpenter. Maybe he's like really trying to support the carpentry industry. He's just trying. Like, are you like making him out to be like a mob boss? It's like you got to grease me up so that I approve Read your into wedding. This what you will. Maybe. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. So, so the the priest was like, "Hey, you can't have a Catholic." Uh, the priest who was who married them was a well. No, that's a whole fucking long story. <laughs> oh no! I, I'll give you like the Cliff's Notes version of it. My parents. <laughs> God, this bums me out as a practicing Catholic because I don't know if I've mentioned on the podcast, but as Amy and I have separately talked about. I totally get people who are quote unquote Catholic school survivors and who have terrible um, experiences with the church. And I get it because there are people who are fucking awful and it bums me out because it actually doesn't have to be that way. And that was not your experience as you told me. Yeah. But when people say that that's their experience, I get it and I'm bummed. So when my mom and her family came to the United States from Cuba, they started going to this church. And uh, if you register... For gifts or no? What? The fuck is it called? It's not called register. I was like, it's a Catholic thing, so you know. I know my you definitely don't know what it, it is. Not good. You at basically, all. it's kind of like you register at a church. Like this is my parish. Like I go. Okay, like that's your. That's this your is my parish. Like this is where I go. To, yeah, yeah, it's my go-to church. And then they send you this stack of envelopes for the year that have your name on it, so that at the collection, uh, oh, they know that you are you, you are specifically donating. are donating. Okay. Whatever. So when my mom was in her teenage years, her mother was like, no, you separately donate 
you donate separately from us so that when time when the time comes for you to get married, they'll remember that you separately gave donations on your own. Well, and guess the fuck what? <gasps> guess the fuck what? She, it's time for her to fucking get married. This, you know, my mom's practicing pious woman. She goes to church every fucking Sunday, gave money on her own separate fucking em- envelope. And the priest goes, I'm not going to marry you because you're going to get divorced <gasps> because every couple that I marry like gets divorced. So like, fuck you. I'm not going to marry you. Whoa. And you are bringing a terrible energy to the situation immediately. 10,000%. It's like, <laughs> and I think homie. this is a you problem. This not, is a fucking you not problem. Not a me problem. Exactly. What? Exactly. <laughs> this fucking guy. Okay. This fucking guy. So and then my mom ends up going to another church, like another Catholic church to priest. And the priest is like, I'm sorry, who the fuck is you? You don't even go to church here. You and donate. Yeah. Right. Because you have to establish relationships. And then she's like, okay, so this is the Here's deal. Here's what happened. Here's yeah. what happened. And then that priest is like, oh, BT dubs, that priest has a reputation for legit standing people up on their wedding day. <gasps> so you actually lucked out. What an asshole. Total asshole. That's um, your job, It's dude. literally your job. Yeah. So my parents were, I guess because my dad was more into nature and shit at the time, he wanted to have an outdoor wedding. And then the priest was like, yeah, Catholics, we can't do that for whatever the fuck reason. Jesus wasn't <laughs> Not like into nature, I guess. <laughs> This is so insane. So they get married indoors, which lucked out for them because it was basically like a fucking monsoon. Oh my God. The day they got married. Of course. Uh, But I'm always very surprised at the brazenness of people in Florida being like, yeah, let's get married in the summer outdoors. That'd be great. Let's roll the dice. Well, it was lovely, fortunately. Amazing. There was like a brief two hour period where I think the guys in their suits were really like dying and had moments of like, it needs to cool off right the fuck now or we're done. But I was like in my dress, just like doing a little twirl, getting a breeze and I was fine. Amazing. It's great. I love it. You looked gorgeous. Thank you. I I, I I stalked you on the gram. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, It did not have pockets. That was its one one downside, but it was lovely. I I felt very, I actually felt very like retro. Like I kind of like channeled. Channel Geo. I didn't really have like full pinup vibes, but I love that. Thanks. I love it. Uh, I I want to shout out a couple of people in New Orleans. I, oh hell yes! Yeah, I went on a, a ghost tour and a saints and sinners tour, um, which were both amazing and both easily the best ghost tour tour situations I've ever been on in my life. Amazing. And the company was French Quarter Phantoms. Which if you ever go to New Orleans and you want a like fucking quality great tour, French Quarter Phantoms is the way to go. You know your fucking tours too, because you've been on a million. Yeah, I tours. live yeah. for a fucking tour. Hell yeah. I live for a tour. Mary J and Malika were the tour guides and they were fucking amazing. They were superbomb.com. Thanks so much for adding to an impossibly fucking great trip. So if anyone's uh, planning on going to New Orleans and wants to do something other than day drink. Uh, <laughs> or in addition to day I was like, drink, which rather. I mean, which flies all the time yeah. down there. It's great. Um, I definitely recommend checking out French Quarter Phantoms. Uh, they really are like the best, truly. Fucking phenomenal tours. Awesome. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Does that mean we get a nice, like, spooky New Orleans ghost story or true crime story, I should say, murder story this week? I mean,. No, I'm calling you totally me- wrong. No, no. I don't want you. I want to be surprised. Okay. Of course I'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I will I will uh I will I'm, surprise you. It's fine. I'm yeah. clearly calling this all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm not a psychic yet. I haven't quite uh, gotten to Amy Allen levels. It's fine. I say this with all the love that I possess. <laughs> Fuck Amy Allen. <laughs> okay? That shit is insane. I, I will never not be stunned by that whole racket oh my of Amy god. Allen and Steve Dejavi. Oh my gosh. That's great. It's so insane. And no tea, no shade to anyone who enjoys the dead files. Like, but if you do... I think you know what's up. You know what the fuck time yeah. is. Come on, guys. Like, yeah. That show was insane. And that drawing... And from what I... I, can't. I <laughs> can't. And from what I understand, that's kind of par for the course drawing-wise. Seriously, they couldn't get anybody better. Literally, like no one. Like, in other episodes when they pull that shit, it's not great. <sighs> I, I don't even know why they have the segment in there. It, I, I don't, Literally, leave it out. Like, leave what it out. is the... Uh, just right. it out. Whatever. I, I'm never going to get over it. <laughs> you shouldn't. You should. Like, you're never going to yeah. get over the hammock thing. Oh, I never Which will. is justified. Yes. I'm never going to get over this <laughs> whole thing as a concept. It actually had been about a week or two since I thought about the hammock. So, <laughs> so happy she brought that back up. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I want to shout out uh, listener Elise. Elise? Hey, girl. We're She's obsessed. amazing. Um, for informing us that the song... <laughs> When I the Afro Man song completely, yes, was uh, because I got high. Because I got high, yeah. yeah, yeah. No idea. I mean, to be fair, and I was thinking about this. This does not seem like your genre. You're, it's not like you're hanging out with a bunch of stoners all the time who like want to listen to songs about smoking weed and getting I, high. Like I knew the song existed. Oh, I just been a, you definitely heard. Yeah, it. Yeah, I just didn't yeah. know it was Afro Man who sang it. Okay, I even think. That's fair. I think it was either Colbert or Jimmy Kimmel did a thing on 420 with Afro Man. No way. Like, he didn't show up. It was, there was like some event that was happening, like some huge event, an outdoor event that was happening on 420 to celebrate 420. Of course. Of course. Yes. But the organizers of the event failed to put in the permits. I mean. So that no one could smoke or drink at the event. Guys. Come on. Guys. I like know, get I know we have a reputation, but like, <laughs> I also know you can get shit done and be a productive member of society. Sure. So get your shit done. So, so they, so then they so like did a thing that it was like, so there was a, like a video clip of Afro man singing because I got high, but they dubbed it to be like, because I couldn't get high. Because <laughs> I couldn't no get the purpose. Could get high. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yes. I fucking love that. It was great. And also I would... I would also like to call out um, Stephen Colbert. Oh, shit. Who I love and adore. Yeah. I, I'm, it, this is a positive call oh, okay. Out. I was like, you're calling him out. Oh, shit. No, this Got is a, like a shout out, rather, yeah. not a call out. No one's being called to the carpet here. Because if you watch his opening monologues of the last like two months, he references like Jeffrey Dahmer and no. Charles Manson repeatedly. And I'm so fucking here for it. One like of us. One, one of us. us. They're well, everywhere. They're everywhere. <laughs> Stephen Colbert is one of us, and I am so motherfucking here for it. My heart is like a pitter patter right now. I fucking love that. Exactly. Uh, and and the thing that I <laughs> extra love about it is that he's like super Catholic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like he right. goes to church every Sunday. He's it's very well known like that he's super Catholic, but he's not a dick about it. He's just like, he doesn't put it on anyone else. It's like, cool, more Jesus for me. That's fine. So that he's very, like, keeps bringing up these serial killers or, like, serial killer adjacent people. 
in his opening monologues, I'm like, I see you, Stephen Colbert. I fucking yes. see you. One of us. One of us. Like, we know what you're about. Exactly. That's fantastic. Oh, it makes me so happy. That As really a- surprised me, too. I would not have expected that from him. So It was, like, the first time I caught it was a couple months ago. And then he, like, did it again the same week. And I was like, Stephen. Hello. Hello. Yeah, yeah. What's happening here? <laughs> Hmm. I just wanted because I yeah, was watching great. an episode a couple nights ago and he did it again. <laughs> he like brought up Jeffrey Dahmer and I'm like, I'm obsessed with you. That's amazing. <laughs> it was wonderful. I'm sure he would be wonderful to have dinner conversation with. Oh my God. There you go. I would love it. Yeah. You guys would hit it off, I think. I think so. Yeah. You're like, you're down with Jesus and you know about serial killers. <laughs> did we just become best friends? Um, I think so. Yes. Yeah. Fuck yes. Totally. We also have... Uh, some mail. We have mail? We do. Oh my god. <laughs> I feel like it's Christmas like every time we get mail. I every know. time is like a new exciting thing. She never tells me before she comes here, so literally like this is what I'm finding out. Yeah. So it was it was in a bit in a bigger box and I didn't want to schlep it, so I opened it, but there's one for you and there's one for me. <gasps> oh my god, look at this little baby. Here's the note. Oh, that wait, I'm read the it. note. You have to read the card first. Everybody knows you, you have to gotta read the card, read the card first. first. It's, the, it's the rule. The card says, You girls are seriously the best. I've had a tough last few months, and your pod is something I look forward to and escape into. Love you. XO, your BFF, Elise. Elise! Elise. You're the fucking sweetest. You're and so you seriously sweet. are a new BFF. Like, yes. I, we adore you. Yes, you are a BFF. That cannot be stressed enough. We love you so much. And Even you- though you didn't like Roanoke, that's okay. <laughs> I understand. So if you left hotel, <laughs> get it, girl. Uh, At least we're so I'm obsessed. I'm so excited. Yes, you didn't have to get us a gift. You're the sweetest. You're so sweet. See what this is. Oh, my God. Salted birds. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Stop. Wait, it says in the front, careful, you know I love true crime. And then it's a fucking dope... It's- it's like a legit candle, like a really nice candle. And oh, it smells like a, amazing. Yeah, it smells like like nice fresh beach laundry. Yes. Oh, I fucking love this. Thank Elise, you. Thank you so much. You didn't have to do that. You really did not. That is the fucking sweetest thing. We have the best listeners and we're truly so fucking grateful. And, and you know, life is, it's really hard. And, and we know especially the last year has been really hard and we're kind of coming out of it, but then other things aren't necessarily getting better. And, you know, it's really such an honor and a privilege to be able to provide an escape and some entertainment from all of the bullshit. And as long as you guys want to hear us talk our, <laughs> our murder say and our, shit, our, our bullshit, say yeah. our shit <laughs> we're going to keep doing it. Um, so thank you so much. It's It really is such a privilege to be able to, to give you a respite from all of the bullshit yes and honestly this has been like therapeutic for us as yeah well, i feel like it's like nice to kind of just shut the world out for a little bit and just like talk some shit have some talk fun. some shit yeah and talk some horrifying horrifying <laughs> brutal murders brutal murders and ghosties i love it yeah for sure oh also shout out to listener monique hell yes hey girl I have gotten multiple DMs and texts uh, that people are watching People of Earth <gasps> oh off of God. your recommendation. Fuck yes. And they're loving it. I, I started watching it as well. Did you? I did. It's a lot of fun. It is really fun. Yeah. It's very funny. And I feel like it's 
it's a little dirtier than I expected to be with like the jokes wise. Oh yeah. Which I don't know if you like, I'm referring to a specific part, which I don't know if you've gotten to yet, but. I don't know. I think I'm four episodes in. Okay. So maybe not. It's really good though. I'm so glad you liked it. Yeah. I I really enjoy it. It, It's definitely a a nice change from the other stuff that I've been watching and the research. (laughs) And uh, like I watched, um, I finished Murder in the Bayou. Oh, shit. Which I had mentioned, I think, last episode yeah. that I started. Um, How was that? It's great. It's fucking devastating because it's this concept of, you know, it's these women who are sex workers and drug addicts. And there's this concept known as the less dead. And that's basically what they are. They have all been murdered and uh, no one gives a fuck. And it's kind of one of those situations where it goes all the way to the top. Really? Yeah. Okay. And and it's that thing when, you know, it's law enforcement's job to serve and protect. And when they don't do that, it's... And they do the opposite. It's so fucking enraging and horrifying. It's like extra infuriating. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, this is literally your job. It's literally printed on the side of the fucking car. Yeah. What the fuck? It's your job to serve and protect the com- not just the community, but the most vulnerable members of the community. And when people don't, it's fucking enraging because it's like literally what the fuck is the point? And then it's extra enraging for those in law enforcement who do actually do their job because then they get lumped in together with, with everybody else. With yeah. everybody else. Um, so it's great. It's on Showtime, uh, Murder in the Bayou. It's just... It's fucking devastating and enraging. Do you know what just occurred to me? I don't think we actually ever introduced the podcast. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> we'll introduce it now. Hi, guys. I, we've been talking for a long ass time. Uh, <laughs> well, It may surprise you that this is another fucking horror podcast and not uh, a travel, what bullshit shit was, were you watching? Watching <laughs> podcast. Podcast. This is another fucking horror podcast. Yes. My name is Monique Sanchez. I'm Amy Traden. Thanks for uh, joining us. Joining the ride. Yeah. Hopefully by now you're aware that this is another fucking horror podcast and that did not come as a surprise to you. Yeah. But if just in case. If it's your first time. Oof. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> like, I don't know for sure, but brace yourself i'm gonna assume it's a safe assumption yeah i mean i don't think we're coy with the the title this is this is a very uh coy i mean (laughs) you know you know what you're getting into uh you're aware yes uh which speaking of do you have a a spooky weirdo story hey a little little spooky 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 weirdo story yes so this week again for you guys, I read a book. So I read Incident at Devil's Den, a mm. true story by Terry Lovelace, Esquire. And I'm going to tell you the absolutely banana story of Terry's life. And since it's kind of a long story, I'm going to give you like the informal hot goss version of it. Yeah. If I can manage that. I love a hot goss. So as you probably gathered from the Esquire, Terry Lovelace is a retired lawyer. He spent many years in state government as a prosecutor and as an assistant attorney general. Fuck yeah. He was also an EMT and a medic in the Air Force, and he's been happily married to his wife, Sheila, for almost five decades. Holy shit. Get it. Yeah. And he had a bunch of kids in there as well. Oh shit, really? Well, I would imagine. Yeah. So five decades of fucking. Yeah, I didn't mention the kids, but I'll talk about them. Fuck them. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag not a mother. They don't come in the story. It's fine. (laughs) 
So I'm going to start you with a quote from Terry. And he says, quote, As a lawyer, I've been trained to collect and present evidence. I'm not someone who jumps to a paranormal explanation for every inexplicable event. I try to approach problems the way I practice law, slowly and systematically and examining all possibilities before reaching a conclusion. I intend to present my experiences to you truthfully and without embellishment. Take from it what you will, and if nothing else, please enjoy the story of my misfortune, end quote. I mean, I'm here for it. Which, damn, that's a hell of a way to start something off. Yeah. And it's it's a lawyer. It's a lawyer, too. yes. And like, assistant district attorney. Like, and she said, what, paramedic or EMT? EMT, at, yeah, and a medic in the Air Force. So this is like, not just Joe Schmo Some off rando. the streets. Yeah. yeah. And... I feel that it needs to be said, Terry never actually intended to tell anyone what happened to him, and he honestly thought he would take all of this to the grave with him. Oh, shit. Like, he was just like, no, this is fucking the weirdest thing ever. No one will ever believe this. Like, I'm not going to fucking talk about it with anybody. But then some shit went down. So in the 1980s, there was this new crazy thing the kids were doing called jogging. And Terry joins this- This was a new thing? This was a new thing. So- Prior to this, people really only ran, like, if you were in track or, like, boot camp in the military, it wasn't just, like, an exercise thing, really. Like, people didn't, like, get dressed in running clothes and, like, go run outside around your neighborhood or anything. Like, that wasn't really a thing adults did if you did the if you think about it. Like, it really did come in the 1980s is, like, the idea that, like, you could run for your health and that was, like, a healthy activity and you could, like, just throw on shorts and a t-shirt and running shoes and go running outside your house Huh. Think about it. Like people in the forties or fifties, like housewives weren't like, I'm gonna go for a run. <laughs> like your your guy right. the guy didn't come home for the dad didn't come home for the office, take a suit off, put his fucking running shorts on and go for a jog around the block. Like, no, right? I mean, no. That means, It yeah. does seem so normal to us that like, yeah, when I read it in the book, I was like, What? So running running is running like is a concept was... to that you're not being chased by someone. Yes. Is basically forty years old. 30 yes, years old? basically. Like, even he's... <laughs> that's funny. Stuff. Even when he's talking to his dad, his dad literally said that, like, why would you run? Like, you're not being chased by anybody. Like, literally, <laughs> that's the only reason you would need to run. I mean, same. Yes. I get it. But <laughs> they even, like, called it, like, a fad because they thought, like, this isn't going to last. People aren't going to run. Running in fen-fen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Overrated. Fen-fen will kill you. <laughs> the FTA did get rid of that. <laughs> it's like, fine. Don't worry about it. So he ends up loving it, and he becomes obsessed with running over the next 40 years. So he starts jogging, and the first time he hits the two-mile mark, he gets this weird, tingly, numb spot just above his right knee, about the size of a half dollar. Mm. And it lasts for about an hour after his run, and then it fades. So he's like, hmm, that's weird. It doesn't hurt, but every time he hits the two-mile mark, he gets this numb spot. He talks to his doctor. Since it doesn't actually interfere with his running, his doctor was like, if it doesn't hurt, don't worry about it. So he just puts up with this numb spot because, again, it only appears when he runs two miles or sometimes when he would get super stressed out, it would come back. Mm. Then, on October 23rd, 2012, out of the blue, Terry wakes up with his right leg in excruciating pain. Like, he can barely put weight on it and he fell when he tried. It had been totally fine the day before and then the pain just came out of nowhere. Oof. So he has his wife drive him to the VA hospital to get it checked out. He gets the ER, waits three hours, they order some x-rays for his knee, they take two, they come back, they take two more, the tech starts to look confused. That's never great. When no. they're like, 
It, what the fuck is this? Yeah. It's like that thing when you're on the airplane and there's turbulence, you check in immediately with the, the flight attendant and it's like, are they cool? Are they freaking yeah, out? Yeah. Are they doing the quickly strap into the fucking side seat or are they Like just if they like don't give a fuck and they're like- service. Yeah. Do you want another, you know, Cabernet or what the fuck? Then you're fine. You're good. But if the tech is like, because that's all they do every day. Literally, yeah. look at x-rays and if they're like, what? What the fuck? Yeah. That's red flag. Concerning. Yes. yes. Correct. Mm-hmm. So, looks confused, takes four more x-rays. <gasps> the tech examines all eight x-rays and then asks Terry if he's ever suffered a shrapnel wound in the military or if he had ever been in an accident. Terry says no, never. Then she's like, how about a car accident? Still no. So Terry's like, all right, what the fuck is going on? She says, quote, there's a tiny object just above your knee that looks metallic. It's the same density as metal, Mm-mm. end quote. Mm-mm. The tech gets a radiologist to weigh in, and he basically says the exact same thing, that it looks like there's a tiny piece of square metal in his right leg just above his knee. So the guy starts looking everywhere all over his leg for a scar on his knee, since a piece of metal that size would definitely have left a scar. Yeah, of course. But there's nothing there. So they're like, okay, maybe it was from when he was a kid and the scar faded. So they bring out a black light because scar tissue will fluoresce under black light. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. I did not know that either, actually. Hmm. I guess it makes sense. I guess so. Yeah. I'm not a doctor, so (laughs) Neither am I. (gasps) What? (laughs) That did not get covered in my chemistry degree. I apologize. (laughs) But again, there's nothing there. That's so fucked. It's so fucked. So... The radiologist literally said that in his 23 years in radiology, he has never seen a foreign object under someone's skin without a corresponding scar. Mm -mm. Because it just doesn't fucking happen. He also tells Terry that it doesn't actually look like just a shard of metal. It's symmetrical and appears man-made. Wait, what? Yep. They even point out what look like visible electrical leads (gasps) of some kind coming out of it. Uh Uh-uh. So they show Terry the x-rays, and sure enough, there's a square object about the size of a fingernail right underneath that same strange numb spot he got when he ran. Now, I will say that while the correlation between the numb spot and the metal seems really obvious now to us, Terry said it wasn't until later that he actually made the connection. And I think that might be because, if I recall correctly, he stopped running in 2005. So Mm -hmm. this is 2012. It's actually been a couple years since he's been running. So maybe he just hasn't felt in a while. Well, also, I would imagine that it's like, sometimes you you need like a a moment of like separation to connect things and be like, oh, that's what that is. And also you're like, literally just went because your knee hurt and you're like, oh, I can't walk. And now they're like, hey, there's a piece of metal in your leg. I would not be thinking about anything else. I'd be like, how the fuck did this metal get in my leg? Like that is numero uno question. That's what I was trying to say. Yes. And my brain and my mouth were not aligning to say that. Your brain and your mouth are... Right up here. Are, well, I got are you. your brain in your mouth? <laughs> we have the same brain and the same mouth. Okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. So as if the metal in his knee wasn't weird enough, they also notice an oddly symmetrical flower petal arrangement of objects, the same density of bone visible in the x-rays. What? The so wait, so it's like, so it's bone? It looks just like your bone. Like, you can tell it's the same density on the x-ray. I actually have the pictures of the x-ray from the book that I'm going to show you. And the top one is the metal object in his knee. And the second one on the bottom is the flower petal arrangement. I mean, obviously, we're going to put this on the Instagram. Yeah. But 
Yeah, like the solidness and the material look different. Yes. On both. One very clearly look, look looks like it matches the bone density right. on the X-ray, and the other one does not at all. Exactly. And it looks like it's a fucking piece of metal. The weirdest part, which obviously many can see, but you guys cannot at this moment, is that the flower petal arrangements that were that like bone density are located in the middle of his calf muscle. They're not touching any other bone. It is not something that happened to his bone. They are literally in the middle of his calf muscle. Yeah, and it's one of these things, if you've ever seen an x-ray, if you've ever had something like a cyst or whatever, that is not what this looks like. No. This looks like a solid foreign object. Yes. Like the radiologist literally said that they were definitely not cysts and there was no way bone spontaneously grew in the middle of muscle tissue. So, yeah. They did not know what the fuck it was. They literally could not give him a clear answer. And while all the doctors and the technicians think it's super weird, they don't have an explanation. And they also have a bunch of fucking patients they need to get back to because it's right, an emergency, it's the emergency room. room yeah. So they're like, okay, like we don't have all time to just stand around here and mm-hmm. look at your deal. Yeah. Yes. So the physician's assistant who examined him originally tells him the pain is probably from a baker cyst and that it'll go no. away with a few. Well, where weeks the fuck rest. is the cyst in the X-ray? Exactly. No. So. Terry does not believe for one second it's actually a baker cyst, but... (laughs) But a piece of fucking metal that's randomly in his knee. In his knee, yes. That he can fucking see on the fucking x-ray. So Terry doesn't believe for one fucking second that it's actually a baker cyst, but the pain actually does go away after a few weeks and he feels back to normal. But he just couldn't get that weird piece of metal in his knee out of his head because obviously that would drive you insane. What the fuck is that? He even asked his older sisters if they remember him being in an accident as a kid, but they both said nothing. So, But like, fine. Yeah. And yes, that's the correct way to go about it. Except that they couldn't find a scar. What the fuck? Exactly. Fucking sketch. So he requests copies of the x-rays and it takes a few weeks, but he actually does get a digital copy. But the file only has two of them in there and a note that says the other six were discarded because of their poor quality. Now, Hmm. because VA patients can access their medical records online, he also checks the doctor's reports. The physician assistant's report says it was a baker cyst and made no mention of any of the mysterious objects, even though they had talked about them. The radiologist's report acknowledged the petal-shaped objects below the knee, calling them, quote-unquote, round artifacts. But again, there was no mention of the square metallic object. The report just says, impression, abnormal knee, rule out baker cyst. Also worth noting, according Wait, to- I'm sorry, it says rule out Baker cyst? Rule out Baker cyst, yeah. So it's not a Baker cyst, is what they're saying, even though they told him it was. They, basically that was just like their notes, like we need to rule it out. Uh-huh. And then they didn't like follow up or do anything to rule it out. So it was kind of, un- that's it. Again, like those are the only notes on the radiologist report. Like you think it would be a little more thorough, a little more clear and detailed. I mean, I don't know if in a, in a medical um, report you can write, what the fuck? Exactly. <laughs> Question mark, question mark, question mark. I think saying rule out baker cyst is because you can't actually say like, it was a baker cyst, diagnosed, whatever. Right. They have to say something because you can't just say, I don't know. Again, we're round artifacts. We don't know what the fuck those are, what to call. So they're just like rule out baker cyst. And then it's like they treat a baker cyst, i.e. send you home and see if it resolves itself, which is what they do. I'm guessing. I don't know. Again, not a medical professional. Right. Um, that's nuts. But okay. It's, it is nuts. And then, according to Terry, who reviewed the reports again a few months later, 
The radiologist's report had been replaced. <gasps> the new one was dated a week after the first, and any mention of the round artifacts was removed. Get the fuck out. There was also nothing to indicate that this was an amended or supplemental form. The original form just disappeared, and then this new one appeared in its place, as if the other one didn't exist. This is a VA hospital, right? VA hospital, yeah. AKA the government. The government. Yes. <gasps> okay. Yes. So obviously freaked out by the thought that there's a strange piece of metal in his leg, yeah. he goes to a bunch of doctors to see if they'll remove it. But they're all like, no, it's not hurting you, and it just poses an unnecessary risk of surgery, so no one would agree to remove it. You know, like, wouldn't you think as a doctor... You would be curious. I would be like, there's a fucking thing in my knee. No one knows where the fuck it came from. There's no scar to indicate how it got there. Like, do you not want to fucking figure this out? Yeah, and not just that. Even just, I would imagine the vanity of like... I could be the one in yes! all of these papers that I discovered this fucking thing. Yes. I'd be like, let's chop let's that do motherfucker it. up. Fucking let's do it. Open you up. Deep dive, baby. There you go. I guess that's why I'm not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> You're just cutting people open left and right. Like, that it, let's and get I'm that out of there. Not into gore at all. <laughs> and I don't well, have I the patience for medical school. Really, there's so many reasons so many why reasons. I'm not a doctor. No, I would not. I cannot do it. <laughs> Now, while the metal didn't cause him physical pain, Terry's nightmares, which had almost completely disappeared by this time in his life, came back with a vengeance. <gasps> so he starts journaling again, which his wife recommended, since it helped him in 1977 when the nightmares were at their worst. Mm. He still had his journals from the 1970s, but he didn't like rereading them because it would always trigger more nightmares. Mm. Anytime he even talked about it, the nightmares would inevitably follow. So all through 2013 and 2014, the nightmares continue. Oof. Terry would wake up sweating and screaming, and after every nightmare, he would write down as much as he could remember before the memory disappeared, only to realize that the nightmares were chronological and each one would pick up right where the other left off. Oh, shit. Which is weird as fuck. I've never had a dream do that. that no. Like, night to night. Like, I've woken up a little bit, then fallen back into the same dream, but like... Oh, not even. That's never even happened to me. I'll have, like, I'll have recurring nightmares... Like my teeth yeah. falling out. That's Oof. the one. Yeah. Oof, fuck. Plane crashing. I got it. Right. Mm, yeah. Fuck. Oh, that's terrifying. That's yeah. worse than the teeth falling out. <laughs> it's pretty, the teeth falling out is pretty, I think that one actually would freak me out more than, because I just watched the plane fall out sky. You're not on it? I was not on it now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Then, I mean, that's fucked. It is fucked. I've dream, had three dreams where this happened. Oh. I mean, it's I've had dozens of the teeth falling out. Oof, no, girl. No, no, no. I yeah, it's that. not great. That but might have happened to you in a past life or something. Girl, don't even fucking tell me that. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, maybe. I take it back now. Maybe. But, no. But it'll just be like, oh, P.S., like tonight your teeth are like going to fall out. <laughs> or, you know, I do have stretches of time where I'll have nightmares, like four nightmares a night. But it's not, they're not, I mean, maybe like psychologically subconsciously they are connected but connected really. but they don't really look yes. like they're related like i'm still the zombie dreams are still popping up oh, every now and then no. since uh damn we fucked you up good on that one i fucked myself up you did us. you brought this on yourself i did <laughs> i'm victim blaming myself on <gasps> oh it. no no <laughs> you're fine um but it's never like previously on last night's yeah, nightmare literally <laughs> That's what's happening to Terry, and that's fucking terrifying. <laughs> that's fucking weird. It's fucking really weird. So finally, after a few weeks, he decides to reread the journals from the 70s, and he immediately confirms what he'd started to suspect, which was that he was reliving 
his terrifying memories from 1977. So while the 1977 incident is by far the most intense of Terry's experiences and is the origin of these current nightmares, this actually isn't the first time in his life that he's been plagued by nightmares. Mm. Because Terry also suffered from terrible nightmares as a child. And these nightmares always revolved around one thing. The monkey men. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Which I know might... Your correct no, your reaction no, is correct. No. If anyone like heard that and was like, "Aha, that sounds funny." No. Absolutely not. No. So, the book includes a poem that Terry wrote in high school about the monkey men, and if it hadn't been as long as it was, I would have read the entire thing to you guys because one, it was fantastically written. Oh, fuck yeah. Two, it was fucking terrifying, <gasps> which from a poem, I feel like is hard to do. So, I am going to read you one line from it because it gave me chills. So according to the poem, he said, quote, never before in life had I seen a creature that grinned before I could scream, <gasps> end quote. Full body chills, oh my God. It's fucking, t the rest of the poem is equally creepy. So when he's around- And eight, how old is he when he's writing He's this? eight. Holy shit. Oh no, so he's in high school when he writes this poem, but the nightmares are from, are from the start around when he's like eight, I would say. And this is like the memory of the nightmares- the From when he's eight, but he's writing it in high school. Yes. Uh-huh. Exactly. So that's significant. If literally like 10 years later, you're like BT dubs. This still haunts my dreams. I still yeah. fucking remember the monkey men. Yes. So he's eight when he's getting these nightmares and they're again, recurring. He's getting them all the time. Mm -hmm. it, and it's almost like just around the time that he stops using a nightlight because he's kind of gotten to that age. Mm. So like extra creepy. I don't think I ever had a nightlight. Oh, girl, what? No, girl, I have like a blackout curtain. I wanted to be like the <gasps> pits of despair in my room. As a kid, even? Probably, yeah. Oh, you weirdo. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing you're saying is wrong. <laughs> I was like, that, I don't know, that's just scary. Like now as an adult, yes, I want a fully no, dark room, but no. I don't recall there ever being a nightlight situation for me. Oh, I always My older brother, uh, definitely needed a nightlight i was also the I, the type of baby that when like right after my mom brought me home from the hospital from being born like three weeks in i was sleeping through the night and the doctor was like that's not normal so he literally told her to wake me up every four hours what? to that's make sure that i wasn't thing. like dead, yeah i guess because i was like bye <laughs> I was also a very sleepy baby, but uh, the doctor just told my mom to sleep whenever I was sleeping. And my mom was like, thank God, because you slept all the fucking time. So it was great. It was just like nap city. I think, I think it was a combination of to make sure I'm not dead. <laughs> and well, yes, obviously. One, SIDS is a thing. I, yeah. And to I think it was to flip me because your, your head is very malleable. Oh, yeah. So oh, I wouldn't yeah. have a flat side of my head. Yeah, because I was just like, you. bye. <laughs> So it was like to make sure I had an even head. <laughs> Your head looks very even now, I will say. She did a good job. Thank you. She rotated you appropriately. She rotisseried. <laughs> rotisseried you. Rotisseried chicken me every four hours. <laughs> Love it. So he starts getting these awful nightmares mm -hmm. and he's usually getting like two a week. So they're pretty, pretty frequent. And they all start exactly the same way. He wakes up suddenly with the sense that there's something in his room. Mm -mm. That something's watching him. Mm -mm. Then out of the darkness come four little monkeys. They're about two feet tall and gray with huge yellow eyes. They have long arms and a tail. And when he first sees them, 
he kind of thinks they're funny because they all have the same big smile on their face, almost like they were all wearing the same mask. Mm -mm. So they're all like, come play with us, Terry. Stop it. They start surrounding his bed and he can hear them talking to him, but their faces aren't moving at all. They're just trapped in that creepy smile and the words are only in his head. So while he might have thought they seemed funny at first, as soon as he hesitates to go with them, their demeanor changes completely and their smiles aren't friendly anymore. They're absolutely terrifying. And he's afraid that they're going to just jump him and take him away, whether he agrees or not. Mm -mm. So they keep inching closer, asking him to play, telling him it'll be fun and they'll bring him right back. Suddenly he realizes these monkeys are not his friends and that something is very wrong. So he screams for his mom, wakes up his whole family, the monkeys disappear in a cloud of black smoke, and his dad comes in to check on him. He's kind of like annoyed, but he's nice about it since Terry's literally shaking and crying. He's so scared. Plus, this isn't Terry's first nightmare about the monkey men, so his dad kind of knows the drill. Mm. He tells Terry he can sleep in their bed tonight, but that it has to be the last night, which Terry understands. He's embarrassed that he's still sleeping in his parents' bed, but he's also scared enough by the monkey men that he doesn't even really care. Yeah. So his parents try to take care of it. His mom talks to him about his fears. He tells her he's afraid that he'll go with the monkey men, that he thinks he went with them before and that they'll take him and he won't be able to come home. Then his mom- so terrifying. So terrifying. You're eight. Yes. Oh my God. Then his mom suggests maybe they can monkey-proof his room. Mm. So that night, Terry comes home, and his dad has this roll of weather stripping, which he says is special tape to keep the monkeys out of his room. Mm. And Terry is pumped. Not only is he going to be protected from the monkeys, but the fact that they sell this special tape means that the monkeys are actually real. Mm. And his dad basically confirmed it. It seems too good to be true, but Terry obviously wants to believe, and his dad had never lied to him before, so of course. I know. I know. Boy, do I have the innocence of you. Something to tell you. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Don't don't do a deep dive in the Santa either. Oh, no, yeah. You're not going to like that. You're in for it. Ah, the innocence of youth. Yep. So eight weeks pass, and not a single monkey. Now, oh, great. Yeah. He had one or two nightmares during that time about them, but he's like, those could only be nightmares because the monkey men couldn't actually get into his room right. because of the tape. Another six weeks goes by and he starts to think maybe they actually were dreams all along, but dismisses the idea because again, the tape worked. Then one day he's playing outside with a bow and arrow because... It's the 60s, and sure. kids are just allowed to have bow and arrow slips. Obviously. Totally cool. Was yeah. the lawn dart not available? Right? <laughs> I mean, Jesus. Dude, if, I feel like the 60s were, the 60s to the 80s were the peak of Darwinianism oh, at its best. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was literally survival of the fittest. Yes. Like, if, if you, you survived, with, you, you were good. a chosen one. You're good. <laughs> That's very <true. laughs> So... He looks up and he sees this huge shadow. He obviously thinks it's a cloud, but then he realizes it's perfectly round. So he looks up and there's a large silver disc hovering directly over his head. Mm -mm. He could tell it wasn't a jet, a helicopter, a dirigible, or a balloon. It made absolutely no noise and wobbled slightly in the breeze. He's absolutely amazed. He didn't find it scary at all. He just couldn't believe he actually got to see a flying saucer. Mm. Although he couldn't really explain why, he felt this overwhelming urge to just lay down on the grass and look up at it. So he does. 
He could only see the bottom of it, which he described as perfectly smooth, no rivets or seams or letters on it, no openings for landing gear, nothing. He described it as, quote, shiny and gorgeous, end quote. Mm. He says there was an odd static charge in the air and the neighborhood was eerily silent, especially since it's the middle of the afternoon. Mm. Oh, wow. So this is during the day. This is during the day and it's like springtime. Oh, so like shit. Kid, it's, it's the 60s. Kids are outside like playing around and it's like silent with this huge disc over his head. In the middle of the fucking day. In the day. middle of the fucking day. Oh, shit. So he watches the saucer for like 10 minutes before it suddenly shoots off at an incredible speed, completely silent. So Terry is so fucking excited that he saw a flying saucer and immediately runs to tell his mom. Yeah. He's like, oh my God, did you see it? What was that? I can't believe that. That was the coolest thing ever. But his mom immediately dismisses him and is like, settle down. You saw a jet. When his sisters come in to find out what the fuck is going on, his mom says, quote, Terry thinks he saw a spaceship in the backyard and he's throwing a fit. Oh my quote. god. Which, yeah, is fucking that's, so shitty. That's so shitty. So shitty. I throwing really, a fit? I know. That's like a, such a fucking cunty way to put it too. Like, I'm not yeah. fucking throwing a fit. Like, I'm excited because of what I fucking saw. <sighs> and I was just trying to share my excitement with you. I'm not throwing a fit about anything. Ah, oh, that's so shitty. Yup. It's going to get worse. Oh no. I mean, <laughs> probably. Writing's on the wall, but. <laughs> yes. So his sisters immediately start teasing him, asking him if the monkeys were flying the spaceship. And Terry's getting kind of upset because he knows what he saw and he's not lying, but no one will believe him. That's so shitty. So shitty. And like, I know you don't know, but siblings are the worst. And I don't know. They're this, your yeah. first tormentors. Uh, no. Are your siblings? No. And they're just the shittiest. I can imagine. Well, I've heard horror stories, but I don't want to. Well, because kids are terrible. Oh, yes. And then when you have another kid living in your home with you, then you just have it round the clock. It's yes. not, you don't get a break after school. Like, no, they have to fucking go home. Ugh. And they know all of your bullshit. No. It's the worst. I'm sorry. Have you seen those, those tell me you, tell me a thing without telling me the thing videos? <laughs> yes. There was one recently that I saw that it was a grown woman and it was tell me you have a sibling without telling me you have a sibling. Okay. And she's just like in the living room drinking some tea and then her brother comes out. It looks like out of the shower. Yeah. And goes in her face and is like, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> which is, yeah, that's exactly what it is to have a sibling. You're just like trying <laughs> oh, no. to like have your tea and live your life. And they just like go in your face and do like ninja moves. Because. Because, yes. Uh, (laughs) I will say my dad kind of acted as like a big brother to Mm. me in some sense. So like I got like noogies and like held down and tickled and like I was like roughhouse kind of place. But again, it was my dad, obviously, like he knew he's an adult with a fully formed brain. He's not a child who doesn't understand like limitations and personal boundaries and safety. So obviously very different. Not really, because when the siblings get older, they don't really put that together either. It's still very much that dynamic. And you're like, okay, great. <laughs> well, I'm so sorry. I did, not, I did not have that. I was like just chilling by myself. So his mom can obviously tell he's upset. So she calls a bunch of their neighbors to see if they saw anything strange in the sky because she's like trying to placate him. They all say no, but then they inevitably ask, why she's asking to which she says terry thinks he saw a spaceship in the backyard 
And now he's throwing a fit. She's a cunt. I'm sorry, Terry, but your mom is. Like, there are so many other things that you could say other than throwing a fit. It's so, I, it really gets me. It, I feel like it's when you tell someone to relax when they're like getting a little like yeah. flustered or a little like amped up and you're like, okay, calm down. Oh. Oh, do not fucking tell me to calm down. Like, oh. I'm not throwing a fit. Oh, you, if, if you want to see Monique Marie Sanchez make a scene, <laughs> tell me I'm making a scene. Oh yeah. You, you have haven't not even seen, seen a motherfucking scene. It's so fucking true. I had an ex who would pull that and gaslight me with it when he was the one who made the scenes. Of course. That literally years after we broke up, I would hear about scenes he was making in public. Oh my God. All of the time. That's so ridiculous. It's like a gaslighty, very shitty thing to say. And it's very dismissive. Yes. And and to all the neighbors, like who, there you play with the neighbor kids. Like they're going to fucking find out from their parents and shit. Like that's awful. Because it's also that, like, gossipy, gossipy like, well, small neighborhood. Yeah. You know, Susan's kid saw a spaceship uh, and was throwing a fit about it. Yes! And then it goes Literally. to everyone and they're like, how's that spaceship? <laughs> like, oh, God. Yep. Oh, I hate all of this. I hate all of this. You nailed it. That was exactly Ugh. what happened. Ugh. I hate all of this. So shitty. So... Like we said, the kids of the neighborhood obviously had a field day with this. Oh, God. So his dad comes home. I know. So his dad comes home. His mom tells him what happened. And his dad sits him down to have a talk with him. And is like, what? What did you see? What's going on? So Terry tells him the truth, that he had seen a flying saucer. But his dad, just like everyone else, doesn't believe him. He tells Terry that flying saucers aren't real, just like the monkeys weren't real. And Terry's like, what do you mean the monkeys weren't real? You bought special tape and the tape worked. His dad is like, the tape worked because you believed it would work. And Terry realizes that his dad lied to him. Mm. His dad then insists that all he saw was a jet and tells him that's all he's allowed to say about it. It's at this point that he realizes that grownups don't always know all the answers and they don't always tell the truth. Oh, honey. I know. They, most of the time. Yes, I know. It's a hard lesson. We all had to learn it. But facts. I mean, I learned it over bullshit. Not over something something like this. this. Yeah, no. This is a devastating way to learn. Yes. (sighs) Terry. I know. What hurt the most was that they refused to believe him because Terry wasn't a liar. He was telling the truth. They were the ones who were lying. A week after the flying saucer, his nightmare started up again. They would begin with lights in the sky and shadowy people lurking around the house at night. The figures would then grab him and carry him away with them. He would dream that he was being held down by intelligent, <gasps> six-foot-tall, oh praying mantis-like beings. Oh, my God. Which, oh, my God, no. I would never sleep again, first no. of all. Who hurt him and ignored his pleas for them to stop. Oh, my God. Even knowing it was a dream, he said it was impossible to wake himself up and that it had to run its course completely before he could finally scream. Oddly that enough. so fucking terrifying. So fucking terrifying. And he's eight. He is eight. You are correct. I a child. Baby. Oddly enough, though, he realizes that he never has a single dream about a flying saucer. His family blamed the saucer for his nightmares, but to Terry, they were completely unrelated. Seeing the flying saucer had been cool and fun. It wasn't scary at all. Not like the reoccurring dreams, which, as we just said, are absolutely fucking terrifying. So the kids at school tease him for a little bit, but eventually they lost interest. His sisters, on the other hand, were relentless. Oh, fucking... 
Those bitches. I know. Siblings are the fucking worst. They would <laughs> literally jump out and scare him robotically screaming, Musket Terry. Fucked up. Oh, fuck you. I yep. mean, I get it. It's like, there's just something about being a kid and having a sibling that you just don't know how to not be awful. I, yeah. it's, I don't know what it is. You just don't know how to how to be like a fucking human being. It's fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't understand. I, uh, like the shit that my brothers did to me, the shit I did to like, my younger no brother. There's no reason for this. Yeah. No, it's like it was almost like tribalism in another way of like let's yeah. gang up on the weakest one against the weakest one. Yeah. That definitely, definitely it's happened. So not cute. No, it is not a good look. Fortunately. One day, Terry retaliated. Fuck and yeah. And he retaliated so badly that his sister literally peed her pants <gasps> while she was sitting on the couch. So, like, literally flooded herself and the couch. Oh, shit. His dad takes him aside, like, intending to reprimand him. And Terry is having fucking none of this. Yeah. He unapologetically told his dad that he wanted them to know what it was like to actually be scared and that his dad better make them stop teasing him. Fuck yeah. Terry was so serious that his dad was like, kind of taken aback so he just was like you know you were good i'm your dad you can come to me for anything i'll have a talk with them like they'll never do it again we're good see except that he can't because when he did his mother's like he's throwing a fit yeah but he's reacting like this because he's never seen terry like like be this serious he and flipped the switch. yes he was like this is no longer father-son talk we're having like i'm talking to you as a fucking adult who's not going to put up with this fucking shit mm. anymore like that's the vibe totally so his dad goes and talks to his sisters, and they never tease Terry again. Like, he fucking shut that shit down. I mean, get it, Terry. Yeah. I'm into it. So a few years pass. Things seem like they've returned to normal. Then in January 1966, Terry, who is 11 years old at this point, wakes up in the middle of the night already sitting up. There were all these brilliant multicolored lights shining through his drapes and a pulsing mechanical hum that he feels reverberating in his chest. Oh my God. The noise is so intense that his bed is literally vibrating and the plastic airplanes on his desk are moving around to the point that one even <gasps> falls off the edge. He watches the lights outside his window, but is oddly disinterested. He described his mood as, quote, curiously apathetic, end quote. Still, he has to go see what's going on outside this window. So he gets up, pulls the drapes back, and he tucks the corner in the blinds to keep it out of the way. Outside his window is another flying saucer. It looks just like the one he saw before, only this time he could see the top of it. The lights are so bright, though, that he can barely look at it. He watches it for a moment, but now that he's seen it, he's content, and he just crawls back into bed. He says he blinked, and then it was morning. Immediately, he notices that the drape is still tucked into the blinds, and the toy plane is still on the floor. And to him, this was confirmation that he had seen what he thought he had. Yeah. Terry said, quote, After this encounter, I knew for certain flying saucers were real. I knew that both encounters really happened. End quote. Shortly after, the nightmares returned. Both the stranger in his room nightmares, which were the monkey men, and the ones with the big praying mantises. Oh my god. Fortunately, the nightmares lessened after a few months and were gone by the end of the school year. Now, growing up, Terry never told anyone about the 1963 and the 1966 incidents because from his own experience, he knew that people who said they saw a UFO were treated like they were making it up. Right. He was told so often that what he saw was not a flying saucer that there were times when he genuinely questioned it himself. Mm. He said, quote, still, I felt smug in my knowledge. I knew something other people didn't believe and wouldn't believe, end quote. I mean, that's a pretty cool way to look at it. Yeah. 
Like, I would just think that I was fucking nuts. Nuts. No. He's yeah. like, I know something. I know a secret that nobody else knows and no one would ever believe me. Yeah. So 10 years goes by and Terry has a mostly normal adolescence with just the occasional nightmare. In 1973, he graduates from high school and enlists in the United States Air Force. He's not looking for a military career. He just wants to be able to pay for college. Mm. He trains as an EMT and a medic. And after basic training, he's assigned to Whiteman Air Force Base, which is a strategic air command base armed with nuclear weapons in underground missile silos. So in 1975, Terry starts working as an EMT with a young senior airman from Flint, Michigan, named Tobias or Toby. They were the only guys who didn't mind working the night shift, so they were always scheduled to work together, and they became good friends during that time. They made a great team, and they always had each other's back. One night, they get an emergency call that a missile mechanic fell off a ladder while performing routine maintenance on one of the silos. The only information they were given was that he was conscious and alert, so they start driving out to the silo and realize there are a fuck ton of emergency vehicles already there, which should not be the case. Yeah. They should be the first ones on the scene. They even have to pass through a police roadblock to get to the silo. The place is swarmed with security police vehicles and military personnel. The captain tells them to park, stay in the car, and off the radio. Toby ignores him to go check it out. He comes running back, super excited, and tells Terry he has to come see this. So Terry follows him, looks right above the missile silo, and sees a black diamond hovering 50 feet above the top <gasps> of the silo. It was a little bigger than a full-sized van, jet black, with a non-reflective matte surface. They all watch this thing for about 10 minutes before it suddenly takes off, <gasps> accelerating north at over 100 miles per hour. The captain tells them where to pick up the patient, then warns them to keep off the radio and write up a quote-unquote clean report. They go grab their patient... <sighs> Who missed, I know. What is, like, the point? Yeah. The fact that they're EMTs. Like, I know they have to. Yeah. I understand that. But, like. But they also could, like, they could just write up the EMT report and not include any of the, like, thing they saw. They could just be like, oh, we went and picked up the patient. He had this. We put him in the thing. Like, we did all this to him. That's bullshit. It is bullshit. <laughs> so they go grab their patient who missed the whole thing. And he just wants to hear what the fuck happened. He doesn't even give a shit about his life. <laughs> They tell him what they saw, then they load him into the ambulance and on their way to the hospital. They see a ton of helicopters fly towards the silo. After they drop the guy off, they write up their quote-unquote clean report, and when they get back to their post, their commanding officer is waiting for them. He asks them if they had mentioned what they saw in their report. They say no, and show him their report. He redacts the times, makes a copy, files the copy, and saves the original in another file. Then he gets real with them and straight up asks them what they saw. They tell him exactly what they told the guy who broke his leg, and he asked them if they could draw it for him. They say yes, oh, and they shit. both do a little sketch of it, and the drawings match perfectly. The commanding officer studies them for a few minutes, then files them away with their original report. He then locks the file in his desk drawer. Terry asks him what the hell it was, and the commanding officer just says it's an experimental helicopter. But Terry can tell he has no fucking idea what it was. The commanding officer reiterates that it's probably a secret prototype and that they shouldn't tell anyone about it. Now, they didn't call the press or tell anyone outside their close group of friends, but they obviously had to tell people. It's too fucking crazy not to share. So the first person they tell is Toby's wife, since they saw her literally right after their shift. Mm -hmm. She makes them both draw it again, and Terry takes his home to show his wife. Because it wasn't shaped like a saucer, though, Terry thinks that maybe his commanding officer is right and that it actually is a man-made prototype of some kind. So he's but, not thinking that it's a UFO at this point. He's like, that's weird, but it doesn't actually look like a flying saucer. It was right. a diamond. Maybe it actually is something the military is working on. 
But it is a thing that if you read about UFOs, they they do tend to show up a lot in like military bases yes. and stuff like that. Yes. Literally, the next thing I have is a quote <laughs> about that, which says, quote, it's a fact that UFOs love to visit nuclear installations of all kinds, mm. military and civilian alike. It's also a fact that our military pilots know. They live and work in a culture of silence about the UFO topic. It's the same with commercial airline pilots. Filing a UFO report is career suicide in the United States. End quote. There actually a couple of weeks ago, like it was like Delta or American Airlines, a pilot released footage being like, this is a fucking thing. I think it was a cigar. Yes. Yeah. And they're like, this is a thing that we see like all All the the time. time. And literally they always call it in. They're like, hey, is anything uh, right there or like showing up on radar? And they're always like, nope. Why? They're like, no reason. Yeah. Just looking at some stuff. It's not on the radar. It yeah. shouldn't be there. But cool. I mean, they're declassifying a bunch of stuff. So now it's coming yeah. out that, that it's very likely when you're like on your flight to Cancun. You could like pilot. look out and just like, a fucking, that There's a fucking UFO <laughs> like just chilling out. Uh, that would have made my fucking Florida trip. <laughs> if I had looked out of the window on my fucking flight and seen a UFO, like, oh, you just want it too bad, Amy. I want it too... Now, after this story, I fucking don't want it <laughs> at all. Real talk. I was watching People of Earth this week, and that was like, oh, this is so fun and lighthearted. I'm going to do an alien story. And then I was like, this took a very dark real turn that I was <laughs> oh, not prepared for. So two years later, in 1977, Toby and Terry still work the night shift together, manning the ambulance at the Whiteman Air Force Base ER. And because they're also friends and live only a couple of blocks away from each other, they like to get together on weekends for barbecue or cards. Most of their night shifts were spent watching the night sky since Terry enjoyed photography, frequently photographing the moon and the night sky, and Toby was an amateur astronomer and a skilled mathematician. Oh, cool. Yeah, I love it. Amateur astronomer? Like, hey, NBD. That's fucking rad as fuck. Hell yeah. So one night around 4 a.m., Toby calls Terry outside to look at something with the binoculars because he'd seen a strange glowing orb in the eastern sky about the size and brilliance of the North Star slowly moving across the sky. Oh, shit. And again, amateur astronomer, like, he knows his fucking shit. He knows knows his celestial bodies. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) he knows his celestial bodies. He does. It didn't twinkle like a star, was larger than a planet, and almost looked like a small moon. Now, Toby, as I said, is an amateur astronomer, and not only does he know aircraft because he's in the Air Force, he also is very familiar with the satellites that cross their path. So, right. like, literally, if you see them, you're like, oh, hey, that's not a plane. What is that? He'll be like, no, it's a satellite. It's the satellites crossing over us. And Toby didn't recognize whatever the fuck this was in the sky. So they watch it for a few more seconds, and suddenly it disappears. Literally like somebody just flipped a switch. Oh, shit. Terry said it made him feel uneasy, but that he couldn't really explain why, so that they both just kind of shrugged it off and was like, that was weird. A few months later, out of the blue, Toby's like, hey, we should go camping. Terry's like, why, though? We're both city boys. Neither one of us have ever camped before. It doesn't seem like a great idea. But Toby's like, no, it'll be fun. It'll be a cheap vacation. You can take all the nature photos you want. I'll bring my binoculars to look at the stars and we'll have a grand old time. So Toby's going to fucking murder Terry. (laughs) That's what the fuck this is. Surprise, I'm actually true crime this week. No, (laughs) just kidding. That, no. 
hey, let's go camping for no reason. We've never done this before. before. Let's go to the middle of nowhere. Super cool. This is totally legit. Super no, fun. You in danger, girl. For real. No, uh-uh. This is my Sketch. worst fucking nightmare. No, correct. Well, you would have been saved from this, Monique. You <laughs> to like, no, not going. So Terry isn't super enthused about it, but he tells him he'll think about it. Then suddenly, he just can't get this idea of a camping trip out of his brain. He's obsessed with the thought of it. So they talk to their wives, who are cool with them going, and they start planning. Toby says they should camp at a place called Devil's Den near the Ozark National Forest in Arkansas, which Terry thought was a little strange since it seemed silly to drive to another state just to camp. But Hmm. Toby made it sound like an adventure and manages to convince him. I mean... All of this is a red flag for me. I'm yes. Like, Toby's going to fucking murder me on this goddamn trip. <laughs> right. He's not thinking that at all. He's like, we're friends. We'll have fun. Also, statistically, you're more likely to be murdered by someone you know and who's close to you. Just fucking saying. Facts. Yes. Terry, you would danger, <laughs> you would danger. girl. <laughs> now, let's remember, these are military men. So they are very thorough in their preparations and they get everything they could possibly need for their trip together over the next seven weeks. As the trip gets closer, they're getting more. So they're packing for seven weeks. They're just are, they're like making a list of everything okay. they need. They're doing like the research because again, okay. it's the seventies, so you can't just be like Google. What do I'm I need to bring on a camping Amazon trip? So he's got yeah. Amazon so Prime they have to like yeah, stock yeah. up on everything, and they like their friends are like, oh, I have a camp stove or whatever, and they get that from them. So right. it's like seven weeks of them like accumulating everything and making lists prepping. and prepping. Got it. As the trip gets closer, they're getting more and more excited. Toby even confesses to having the same obsessive thoughts that Terry described. Now. Despite weeks of preparation and the fact that they literally stock an ambulance as part of their jobs, they somehow manage to completely space out on the day of the trip and end up forgetting to pack a bunch of their supplies. Like, they're literally three hours into their drive when Terry realizes that he forgot to pack his camera. Literally the whole reason he was going camping in the first place. Terry's pissed about the camera, but he's Mm. like, fuck it, we're not turning around. So they get to the park. But they want to camp in the wilderness. They don't want to do just the regular camping that everybody's doing. So they're going off the trail. Yep. You in danger, girl. So they don't get a camping permit. They just grab a map and they start following this road away from the park out into the wilderness. Literally ignoring multiple no trespassing signs. They drive up this dangerous winding road high up on the limestone bluffs until they reach the summit where there is this beautiful meadow of wildflowers. So they park on the edge of the meadow. Toby wants to set up camp immediately, but Terry's like, no, let's go exploring first. So they put on some sunscreen and their military-grade deep bug spray, and they go on a long hike, completely losing sight of the meadow. They eventually stop to rest by a creek, and Terry suddenly feels extremely drowsy. Like, not just tired from driving and hiking, but actually can't keep his eyes open. Hmm. He closes his eyes to rest and wakes up to Toby yelling and kicking him. (gasps) Apparently, they had both fallen asleep. The sun was very low in the sky, and they knew they had to get back to the car before dark. Yeah. So Toby goes rushing off, super panicked, trying to get back to the car. Terry can barely keep up with him. He finally manages to get Toby to stop and take a deep breath, and they both manage to calm down. Toby writes their course and gets them back to the meadow right before the sun is setting. Mm. They're exhausted, but they still have to set up camp, so they chug a bunch of water, apply more deet, and Toby starts setting up their tent while Terry gets firewood. They then realize they forgot the hatchet, as well as their good flashlight, and a bunch of their food. What the fuck? Again, very unusual for them. Yes, these are military men. They literally stock an ambulance as part of their job. They were super hyped for this trip. You think they would remember everything. 
But somehow they didn't. And especially since it wasn't a one day to the next, we're going to go camping. This was over seven, seven weeks. Seven weeks they had to plan this. Exactly. But despite the rough start, they managed to get their camp set up. And after eating some hot dogs, they set up their air mattresses so they can lay by the fire and look at the stars. So they're relaxing and enjoying themselves when suddenly Terry notices that the crickets and the tree frogs have gone completely silent. Nope. Which obviously made him super uneasy. Yeah. He points it out to Toby, who sounds uncertain, but he just brushes it off. He'll like, they'll start back up in a minute. Then Toby notices three identical points of light sitting low in the western sky. They're all equidistant from one another, and they just look like three very bright stars. But to the amateur astronomer, they looked weird. Mm. Not like stars, not like any aircraft. As they watch, the three lights got brighter and brighter. After about 20 minutes, they start rotating in unison, Mm -mm. and they realize that this has to be one solid object. They're completely hypnotized by the lights, and they start feeling unusually sleepy. The object slowly starts rising into the sky, coming closer and closer to the meadow, getting bigger and bigger and moving a little faster. Mm -mm. Terry said he felt uneasy, but not frightened. Then it stops directly over the meadow, right above their heads. (gasps) And the three points of light start expanding outward, so it's literally blocking out fields of stars at this point. Oh, shit. Then Toby gets the bright idea to signal it. And before Terry can stop him, he flashes the flashlight at it three times. (gasps) Which, like, the balls. Like, I don't even know why that fucking occurred to you. No, no. (sighs) This is you, like, run or you hide and you pretend, like, you play dead you act like you do not call attention to yourself. No, at the you're not like, hey, what's up? Hey, girl, we're here. We're here. You want to party? Yeah, I see your lights. Here's my light. Cool. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. no. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Red flag. No. So as soon as he does it, a white light shoots out of the bottom of the triangle onto their extinguished campfire. <gasps> 30 seconds later, it disappears. Then, this blue laser-looking light appears and starts darting all over the campsite and them, blinking on and off instantly. Terry said it had a hypnotic quality to it, and he remembers it hitting his leg and his chest at least once, and he watched it land on Toby, too. After a few minutes, it disappears. Then, Toby says, show's over, and they both get up in unison and go into the tent, with that thing just hovering over the meadow. I would have fucking hightailed it the fuck out of there. Right? I'd be like, well, trip's over. We're done. <laughs> fuck that. Goodbye. They both fell asleep fully clothed almost immediately. Terry even specifically remembers that he went to sleep with his boots tightly laced. When he wakes up, he says it was because there were multicolored lights strobing into the tent. <gasps> then he notices that same mechanical hum that he'd heard as a kid, Mm-mm. but even more intense. Mm-mm. Terry sees Toby crouching at the front of the tent, peeking out through the flap. When he starts to crawl over to him, he realizes he's in incredible pain. His entire body aches, and he's thirstier than he's ever been in his life. He's also terrified, and he could see both him and Toby were visibly trembling. He reaches for a flashlight, but Toby stops him and says, Be quiet. They're still out there. (gasps) Terry could see tear tracks down Toby's cheeks, which... This is a military man and an EMT. Yeah, they've seen some shit and they've been through some shit. Yes, exactly. This is not somebody who cries at just the drop of a hat over nothing. No. Yeah. Toby is also almost panting, like hyperventilating, basically. (gasps) Terry keeps trying to ask questions, but Toby just shushes him. 
Terry can hear that there are people outside, and when he looks out, he sees the same black craft, now only 30 feet off the ground. Holy shit. Yep. There's also a bunch of very small people milling <gasps> about. They're so small, Terry literally thinks they're children. Oh my He's God. like, what the fuck are kids doing here? And Toby says, quote, those are not human beings, Terry. They took you too. They hurt us both, Terry. They hurt us. End quote. Mm -mm. Then he begins to softly sob, and oh Terry God. tries to comfort him while he's watching what's happening. A column of light comes out of the bottom of the ship, and they watch as the little people step into the light and disappear. Oh my God. Yup. After the last one of them leaves, the light vanishes, the hum stops, and the craft begins to steadily ascend until it completely disappears. They both calm down a little when it leaves, but they're still in a lot of pain and they're thirsty as fuck. I would have to be put into a mental institution like immediately. Yes. Like immediately. If I watch that and then whatever the fuck Toby is saying happened, I'd be like, it's a wrap. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. I'm done. I'm done. Nope. Pump me up with pills so that I don't even remember what the fuck happened. It's a wrap. Agreed. Terry said he had some memories of what had happened to them, that he remembered a whirring noise and a sense of motion, then a flash of bright light, and they were suddenly in the craft. He was awestruck by the sheer size of the interior. Everything was white or stainless steel and was brilliantly lit. He saw three flying saucers parked inside, and there were walkways and different levels and unrecognizable symbols on the walls. Mm. Inside, he noticed they weren't alone and saw 50 or 60 other people who had been taken like Holy them. Holy fuck. It's so many. That's that, so fucked. It's so fucked. That was all he remembered at the time, but he knew there had to be more. <gasps> Terry then notices that his boots are not only untied, but unlaced halfway down. Oh, shit. And he felt that this was inadvertent validation of what he had experienced. That's like the... um. The Netflix, the Unsolved Mysteries with the aliens that they were, uh, yes, what, that they, they put them back in the, in the wrong, wrong spot in the car. Yes, <gasps> yes, and like the other story I told, where they put the earrings in her, yes, 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 back the wrong way. Like, oh, he looks over, and Toby is also lacing up his boots. Mm -mm. So they're obviously freaked out. They're in an incredible amount of pain. They're sick and nauseous, and they're fucking parched. And they really just wanted to get the fuck out of there. So they literally make a run for the car and Toby navigates them back the way they came using a flashlight to read the map. Hmm. They wanted to leave so badly. They just left all of their tent and all their supplies oh, there. Shit. They like didn't give a fuck. So they make it out of the park and they find a gas station so they can get something to drink and use the bathroom. Seeing himself in the gas station's bathroom mirror, Terry notices his eyes are swollen. His face is puffy and red, and he has dozens of angry red sores evenly dispersed all over his body that itch terribly. Oh, no. Like there were bugs crawling under his skin. Oh, no. Ugh. Then he realizes how badly sunburned he is. Even his underarms were badly burned, and the burn is so even that he didn't have any tan lines. Even though he put on sunscreen and sunscreen, government grade bug bite. Bug spray, yes. And did not get naked at any point in time and lay in the sun. He was at least fully clothed for any and he, portion of time that and he was the in the sun. Other underarms are fucking burnt. Burnt. And literally his whole he literally like is like, I'm fucking burned and starts like lifting up his clothes and taking down his clothes like in the gas station bathroom and it like looks down and looks <gasps> at his legs and realizes his entire body is completely burned. Uh -uh. Everywhere. Uh uh. 
weird. Yeah. Because even if you try to do that, that's a commitment. That's hard. Like you'd have to rotate yourself evenly. You'd have, you have to, to like raise really raise your parts arms. of your yeah. body. And like you, you, how? That doesn't naturally happen. How? No. Exactly. That doesn't naturally happen. Correct, Monique. Mm-hmm. When he saw Toby in the daylight for the first time, he thought he looked just as bad, if not worse. Swollen, red, burned, covered in bites. They're both in agony. Ugh. Even the sun seemed unbearably bright and sunglasses didn't help. Oh, shit. So they chug a bunch of drinks and Terry drives straight back. They never once discussed what happened. Toby ended up sleeping most of the way while Terry kept running through what had happened over and over. Bits and pieces came back to him and he definitely remembered Toby screaming, but he couldn't place anything on a linear timeline. Then Terry had a sudden flash of intuition because looking back, the ridiculous camping trip that had become an obsession, one they had planned so well, but had somehow been woefully unprepared for, seemed like it had been designed to get them to that particular spot at that particular time. Mm. So Terry drops Toby off at his house and he goes home. His wife can tell something is wrong immediately. She takes his temperature. It's 104. Fuck. And then she draws a cool bath for him, which drops his fever to 102. She then takes him to the VA clinic which Toby had also gone to because both of them were sick, sunburned, bug-bitten, and running a fever. The doctor obviously wants to know what happened, and Terry gives him a sanitized version of the story. While he didn't realize it at the time, both of them were considered acutely ill. So they proceed to give him the most thorough medical exam of his life, photographing every inch of his body and counting every bite, which he had 124. Holy fuck. Which is a fucking lot. Yeah. Yeah. They even used a Geiger counter on him. (gasps) His wife was told to bag up everything he had brought back from the trip in a biohazard bag and bring it to them. The details of their hospitalization was even reported to the security police, most likely because of the bizarre nature of their injuries and the positive readings on the Geiger counter. For Terry, the first 48 hours in the hospital were a blur, but eventually two men in suits from the OSI came to ask a few questions. Now, the OSI is the investigative arm of the United States Air Force's security police. Basically, they are to the Air Force what NCIS is to the Navy. Terry said they carried themselves like Gestapo. Oh, shit. So, yeah, that's the vibe being brought to this uh, questioning. It's not bad enough. You show up, you feel like shit, you don't know what the fuck happened. Yep. And you're trying to piece together what happened. Then on top of that, you're going to get like military grade question about it. Literally, like, interrogated, basically. Holy fuck. The one in charge was named Special Agent Gregory. So he sets up a tape recorder and tells Terry that he's in charge of his case. Terry's like, I didn't even know I had a case. And when he asks if he's in trouble, Gregory gives him a sarcastic reply saying they wouldn't even be here if he didn't have a case. Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. Gregory reads him his rights, then gives him waiver and consent forms oh, to sign. Oh, fuck. So he's like getting Miranda righted right now? Yep. Basically. Terry promises to cooperate fully with the investigation. The consent forms gave them the right to search his house and his car and seize anything they found without having a search warrant. Holy shit. He signs everything, never reading a single word. Girl, no. Because his eyes were still (gasps) so swollen that it would have been impossible anyway. Honey. Right? And I mean... That's grimy. 
it's grimy as fuck. And obviously this is speculation on my part one, because it's not my fucking story. So I don't know what the fuck is happening, <laughs> but I would imagine that he's like, I mean, I didn't do anything wrong. So I'll sign whatever the fuck. Yeah, exactly. Like, like we're just going to have little questions about my trip and we're good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, what are you even going to take from my house? Because there's, there's nothing, nothing there. I didn't do anything. So yeah. Whatever. I'll sign whatever. I'll answer whatever. Exactly. Like we're good. A tip for life. If anyone is trying to get you to sign something right then and there, it's sketch as fuck and it's not on the up and up. Yeah. Anything that's uh, that's legal and that's not sketchy, they'll be like, take, take it your to time. your lawyer, take your yeah, time, exactly. whatever. They're not like, well, if you leave here, this this is off the table or whatever the fuck. Yeah. No. No. So Gregory was obviously intimidating and manipulative in his questioning of Terry and he would get... <sighs> angry and berate him if he didn't like how terry had answered so they ask him about his trip terry tries to keep it vague but they're like toby told us about the lights so he plays it off like yeah we saw some lights we watched them for a while then we just went to sleep now gregory really just wanted to know whether he had any pictures from the trip Mm. and didn't believe him when he said he didn't even though they had confiscated his camera which he'd forgotten anyway but because Terry had a dark his room... at his house? Yeah. Okay. They had already, like, gone to his house by that time and gotten all his, like, camera and Oh, shit. so they went to the house first and then went to interrogate him. Yep. I mean, that's the way you do it. But, yep. like... Which is, is sketchy because he, like, was signing all of the shit there. But technically the they already had, like, done all of it, according to them. Yeah. Oh, that's so sketchy. I hate it's this. so sketchy. But because Terry had a dark room in his house, which like photography is his hobby and dark rooms really aren't that hard to do. And if yeah. you're going to develop a lot and it gives you more control. Control. Exactly. And, yes. Yeah. It's supposed to go into a fucking CVS or whatever the fuck. Exactly. Yeah. So it's really not that sketchy that he has a dark room in his house. But they thought he was up to something. Finally, a nurse interrupts them to give Terry some medication. But before they leave, they tell him that he is no longer going to be working as an EMT. He will be remaining on Whiteman Air Force Base, but that Toby is going to be reassigned to a completely different base. And he is forbidden from contacting Toby ever (gasps) again through any means. He's also banned from leaving the base without permission, which is very sketchy. If nothing happened, if nothing's going on, why aren't they allowed to talk to each other anymore? Right. What? Yeah. So Gregory gives him his business card, and he leaves. When he's being discharged from the hospital, the doctor tells him to keep his nose clean and his mouth shut. Which is the most up-and-up thing. Yeah, again, not sketchy at all. He says they were just sunburned and bug-bitten, that the radiation had been from a naturally occurring uranium deposit in the limestone, and he also warned Terry that they had given him medication that could cause him to have funny dreams and affect his memory. But... It was just a side effect of the medication, so nothing to worry about there. Mm. Then they sent him home with a quote-unquote bucket full of pills, and they schedule a nurse to come by his house three times a day to count the pills to make sure he's taking them. Oh, shit. Now, again, he's an EMT, and to him, these just look like generic-looking capsules. They don't look like anything he's ever seen. So he has the physician's desk reference at home and he goes home and he checks this pill against every single pill in that book and there is not a corresponding pill to be found. Get the fuck out. None of them look like this. That's so creepy. Like, what the fuck are they giving him? So creepy. Yep. As soon as he starts taking them, his memory completely fails him. Like, he can barely remember the day of the week. 
So Sheila tells him to stop taking them. And he starts flushing them down the toilet before the nurse arrives yes. every day. Get it. Yes. Good for you. Mm-hmm. His memory improves in a week and fully returns by the end of the month. Not long after this, Terry and his wife are driving home from the grocery store and they pass by Toby's house and they see moving vans packing them up. Terry begs her to stop so he can say a quick goodbye, even though he's forbidden from speaking to him. When he sees him, Toby's eyes are bloodshot and he's clearly been drinking. Toby just looks at him and asks if it really happened. Terry says, quote, yeah, it really happened. All of it. They hurt us. I don't know why. End quote. Terry can't even look at him after that, and he just stumbles back to his car. When he gets outside, which it's literally been four fucking minutes, there are two security policemen in a marked car outside, boxing their car in against a moving van. He's obviously freaked out, but he gets in the car, tries to calm his wife down, telling her it's just like in the city when you're parallel parked, just pull out and drive home slowly. The police ride their ass all the way home, like an inch from the bumper. What the fuck? Yep. Then they sit outside their house for an hour just to keep them spooked. Right after that, Gregory calls him, berating and threatening him. In an attempt to placate him, Terry offers to take a polygraph, to which Gregory scoffs, telling him he has his own polygraph, then hangs up on him. After this, Sheila tells him to start writing everything down. Mm-hmm. He goes back to work on the base, but his reassignment is bullshit. They literally make him paint a bunch of boards, and then when he's done painting them, they're like, okay, cool, sand them all down. Back to the wood. That, that kind of shit where they punish you. Like, all of this is so fucked because the thing that I don't understand, and I don't understand because I don't have the information, obviously, is what is the problem that he saw a UFO? Right? What's the issue? Exactly. I would imagine it's more than we can't have people knowing that they exist. Yeah. There has to be something else that we don't know that has been kept from us as to why that's a problem. Girl, buckle up. (laughs) So two months later, his commanding officer tells him he's wanted at OSI headquarters and they're coming to pick him up. They drop him off at 9.15, but they make him wait until noon before Gregory finally shows up. He tells him if he cooperates, they'll close his file and everything will be good. He's done nothing but fucking cooperate. Thank you. Yes. And they're being dicks to him. They're making him paint shit and fucking sit it down. They're being the biggest dicks. Then they tell him he's going to be given some medicine and hypnotized to help him remember. So they bring in this guy named Major Brownstone. And he is not like Gregory. He's not being a dick. He is acting more like a therapist. He's all like, call me Brad. He's super nice. They make small talk. Then he pulls out his kit. I'm not a regular government agent. I'm not a... I'm a cool government agent. I'm fun. No, you get me. (laughs) Hey, you like photography? I like photography. So he pulls out his kit, which already has a syringe in it, (gasps) filled with yellow liquid. Now, Terry technically agreed to this, But he's determined to fight the effects of the hypnosis. Yeah. Obviously, he can't do anything about the drug. They're going to give him the drug regardless. So they give him the drug. It makes him feel sedated. But he's still aware enough to resist the hypnosis. So he just does the opposite of everything Brad tells him to do. So when Brad tells him to walk down the stairs, he pictures himself walking up. When Brad tells him to count down, he counts up, gets to the bottom of the stairs, 
he tells him it's totally dark in that room and he needs to reach up and turn the light on. So Terry waits to make sure he doesn't actually reach up to turn the light when Brad tells him to, and he makes Brad repeat himself. Is he doing that on purpose or is it like a fuck up? Like, I know he's doing it on purpose to not actually get hypnotized. Yes. But is it a fuck up and like, oh, fuck, uh, I didn't play along with them. No, he is waiting for him to ask him. Then he's like, okay, my body's not responding. I'm not actually hypnotized. He waits for Brad to say, raise your hand again. And then he raises his hand and pretends to turn the light on and pretends that he's hypnotized. I see. But the whole time in his head, he's like, singing songs yeah, like, to keep, don't get hypnotized. Yes, don't he's like distracting himself, he's focusing on other things. He's working very hard despite the effect of the drugs to stay as coherent as possible. So, they think he's hypnotized and even without the hypnosis, the medication had basically unlocked his memories and he remembered them taking him twice at <gasps> Devil's Den. Holy shit. Yep, once on the rock where they first fell asleep and then again at night with Toby. So, His memory of this time is obviously because he's under the influence of the drug. It's kind of all over the place and he's Mm -hmm. just like giving you a bunch of information and he's kind of telling the stories in a disjointed way. So I'm going to bombard you with like a lot of information all at once basically. Okay. So he tells them that they took his blood and his sperm when he was taken. (gasps) Yep. It's like uh, Betty and Barney Hill. Yep. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. He remembered that they took him when he was a little kid, too, and he recognized the monkey men. Oh, my God. He started sobbing because he saw them unmasked for the first (gasps) time and realized what they truly were. So the monkey... So it actually was a mask with the monkey men. Yeah. That was, like, the mask they put on to keep the children at ease. Like, no, we're not creepy aliens. Like, it's our fun, smiling monkey mask. Um, you're not nailing it. No, it's fucking fucking terrifying. It's terrifying. (laughs) He remembers them taking him somewhere with toys and other children, and that there was this lady there who was nice to them. He ended up describing the triangular craft at Devil's Den for them, and he told them about going to bed while the ship was still outside in the meadow. It's at this point that Brad jumps in and explains to the other agents about alien apathy and alien amnesia. Alien apathy being these instances where you just are like, oh, that's cool. No big deal. Like... Oh. When he was like, when he saw the ship in his room and he just like went to bed with it still hovering outside or like that instance when they saw the ship and they just went inside. So they did that to him so that he wouldn't scream for the rest of his fucking life. Yes. They literally like make you feel disinterested and apathetic so that you're calm basically when they take you. And you're like a more willing participant, quote unquote. Yes. (gasps) So. That's so terrifying. When Terry says like, yeah, we just we saw the ship in the meadow and then we just got up and went to sleep. They were like, why the fuck did they do that? And then Brad is like, oh no, that's a thing we know about. It's alien apathy. Don't worry. And then the therapist is like, oh yeah. Yes. Is explaining to Gregory. Yeah. Is like, hey, that's alien apathy. They also have alien amnesia, which is obviously where they make them forget that they saw an alien. My jaw's on the floor. Yep. Terry realizes that Brad is spot on with everything Almost like he knew what happened to them and, like, knew about this ahead of time. Hmm. Hmm. Odd. He tells Brad that they had taken him over and over again over the course of his life. Holy shit. Doing terrible things and hurting him and then just erasing his memory. He said they always wanted him to remember just a little bit, just enough so that he would recognize them when he grew up. And he realized that they had been grooming him in a sense from the time that he was a little kid. Mm -mm. 
So fucking creepy. No. Then Terry starts to get a little mad. He tells Brad they're not supposed to be talking about this and that there are going to be consequences. Oh, shit. Yeah. And Brad's a little freaked out, but he's like, no, 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 no. They gave us permission. Like, don't worry. You're safe. Let's talk about the ship. So Terry starts describing the ship. Terry says there was a group of them waiting for their turn on the table, (gasps) that the taller aliens are the ones who control everything, that if they look at you, it's like being naked, that they can see and know everything in your mind. Mm. He says there were a lot of people, i.e. humans, on the ship, and that some of them were crew members wearing tan flight suits with orange insignia ranks. And those crew members just ignored them and everything that was going on around them. Wait, wait. Okay, so so when you say crew members, it's not like we abducted a pilot. It's like that they work with they the They work aliens. with the aliens. <gasps> like, they're cool. They're sitting at their little, like, desk, their little terminals. And they just, like, are like, cool, that's a group of abductees. Like, I'm not going to look over there. I'm on break in 15. Yeah, like, they're like, I'm, I'm W2'd with, with yeah, the aliens. exactly. What the fuck? Yep. Like, they're wearing fucking uniforms. They have fucking, like, ranks on the shoulder. Yeah. I told you she was going to be crazy. At this point, Gregory jumps in and he curses and tells Terry to forget about the men in the flight suits. (gasps) Then Terry describes getting marched past a wall of aquariums. Terry didn't want to look at them, but Brad insists, (gasps) telling him to describe what he sees. He says there were reptilian lizard-like things floating in pink water. Mm. They were ugly with big eyes, and one of them twitched. (gasps) He says there were a hundred or more aquariums, some of them bigger than others, all filled with that same pink water. He said it even looked like there were humans in some Uh -uh. of them. Uh -uh. But he said they looked different because they aren't like us. (gasps) One moved, turned its head, and blinked at him. Uh Uh-uh. No. Terry suddenly felt like he had fainted. And I believe this means he actually like fainted in the interrogation room with them. And they kind of brought him back around. I don't think he fainted on the ship. Oh, shit. So Brad tells him he's safe, tells him to squeeze his hand. And Terry starts to feel grounded again. He vows to himself that he is going to remember this for the rest of his life. That he wasn't going to let them rob him of these ugly memories that he was going to remember. Now, Terry describes just waiting with the others for his turn in the room. That's so fucking terrifying. So fucking terrifying. He said some of the people were nude and some of them were being asked to undress. He remembered various ships that he had been in over the years. He had been in a flying saucer. So it's not even the same. He's like remembering everything. Shit that from when he's a childhood, like it's all coming out all at once. But it's not necessarily the same like creatures or the same places that he's going to. Not always. It seems like he's been on various ships over the years, and it seems like there are a variety of, I would say, types of aliens. It seems like there's those, like, tall, intelligent... tall whites, yeah. Yeah. And there's, like, the praying mantis-type ones. Mm. There's, like, the little greys. Yeah, the short greys. Yeah. And then I guess there's, like, that weird reptilian lizard Mm -hmm. thing in the tank. Mm -mm. So, yeah. This is horrifying. It's so horrifying. So he starts telling them about all the various ships he's been in over the years, from little saucers that could fly super fast, to a ship so big that it could never land on Earth. He said it was an entire city a hundred times bigger than the Triangle at Devil's Den. (gasps) 
He said there were moving walkways and tall aliens milling about, and he could see the moon below them. Oh, shit. And they were on the dark side of the moon, and he says that he could see that there were lights on the surface. Now, for part of this, he says that he tried not to reveal this to Brad and Gregory, Uh but it does kind of seem like it came out anyway. There was this woman who was escorting him around the spaceship who was kind of like shepherding him in a Mm -hmm. way. and Giving him the tour. Giving him the tour, (laughs) yes. So he tried not to tell them about her at first, but I believe he did actually slip up and mention her because he starts telling them what she's told him. So she tells him that they're on the moon for a special kind of rock. And that the ship is so big that they could never fly in front of the moon, the side that faces the Earth, because it would literally be visible from (gasps) Earth as like a huge black dot over the surface of the moon. So apparently it just hangs out on the dark side of the moon permanently. Yep. And they like mine some sort of a special rock on the moon. I don't know what to think about any of that information. I'm not comfortable with it. I'm definitely not comfortable (laughs) with it. To put it mildly... So Brad asks him a little more about the woman, and Terry explains that he didn't know her name, but they talked telepathically for a while. She said they came from a place far away with two sons, and Terry asked if he could go, but she told him no. She said there were people, i.e., again, humans, living on the moon, and that they had been living there for years now. Holy shit. Brad immediately tells him that he's going to forget all about the big ship and the moon. When he asks about the woman, Terry says he's fond of her, like a friend, that he liked her. She told him she was half human and half alien, and there were actually a lot of them. He knew her from before even, when he was little, and said it was good to see her, that she had always looked out for him. So before he leaves, he hugs her, and all he can think is that she's so thin and fragile, but he also realizes she clearly doesn't have a human body. Mm. Brad asked what else she said, and Terry said he wasn't supposed to say, and again, questioned whether Brad really had permission to talk about this, which that made all of the agents freak out. Oh, shit. Brad, getting himself under control, just asks him to go back one more time. He tries to reassure him. So Terry starts to talk about what happened when he went into the white room. Mm. He says the little gray people were undressing everyone, and then he was brought inside the room he'd been in many times before. He's on the table, and he can't move at all. He didn't know where Toby was, but he could hear a woman screaming in the distance. <gasps> I mean, that would traumatize me for the rest of my fucking life. It's I've so all traumatizing. All the other shit wasn't traumatizing yes. So, he's in the room. There's a bunch of little gray ones that are kind of like holding him down. They're very strong. But there's always an alien supervising them, ordering them around. And he doesn't even think the little ones are even alive. They're almost like robots. Oh. And they were struggling with the laces on his boots, and Terry started to softly cry, knowing the examination was about to start. Mm. He tried to scream, but nothing came out. He says the tall one isn't benign or malevolent. He's just doing his job, as Terry puts it. The Nuremberg defense. No, yeah. this is so fucked. This is like worse. It's so bad. They're insect-like, and he says none of them show any empathy. They hurt him with mechanical probes and knives. 
he tries to tell them that he can feel pain, that he's alive, like they shouldn't be doing this to him. But they just seem annoyed that he's even talking about it. And they almost have this attitude of like, we're going to erase your memory anyway. Like, why does the pain matter? You're not going to remember that you were in pain. So why are you making a big deal about this? Um, fuck Basically. You. After the white room, he described them putting both him and Toby back in the tent. Brad asked a few more questions about any photos that might exist. Because again, that's their main fucking concern. Yeah, they don't want the proof. Yep, Gregory is sure there's photos and he fucking wants to know about them. And he wants to know whether Terry's lied to them, which Terry says he didn't. Terry, at this point, is starting to feel the medicine wearing off and prepares himself mentally for them to pull him out of his quote-unquote hypnosis. So Brad tells him he's going to forget everything that happened to him and Toby at Devil's Den and gave him a sanitized memory instead. Then he pulls him out of his trance state. However, once again, when Terry's commanded to turn off the light, he waits until Brad has to repeat himself so that he knows he's not actually hypnotized, mm. and then he consciously raises his arm and pretends to pull the light. When he's done, Brad just leaves without a word. Obviously, this whole experience was very upsetting for Terry, but part of him was relieved because they had intended to rob him of his memories, but they'd failed, and now he remembers so yeah. much more. Not to mention... Brad had basically confirmed alien abduction, alien apathy, and alien amnesia for him. Mm. However, Terry just tucks these memories away because he's worried for his professional career and he already knows no one's going to believe him. Him and his wife rarely talk about it and over the years he manages to keep it completely compartmentalized. But the thing that's fucked about it is that they do believe him. Yes! That's what's fucked. Is they... Because... You know, they're not going to do all this shit if they think he's a wacko. No! They know he has information that they know is real. And possible evidence that they are desperate to find if it exists because it can't exist for them. They need to have control over it. They believe it so much that they're down to, like, ruin his fucking life if he talks about it. Yes! Yes. That's the thing that's more fucked. It's not that they don't believe him. They absolutely do believe him. Yes. But they're not going to tell him that. No, they're just going to gaslight him and be like, "You keep talking, we're going to ruin your fucking life." Yes, it's so fucked. I know it's it's so infuriating too. Like, ah, Terry, I feel for you. Ugh. So it wasn't until he saw the implants on film in 2012 that a response is finally triggered. Mm. His memories start returning as nightmares, or they just spontaneously return to his awareness when he's awake. He starts reviewing his notebooks, but that just brings more terror and pain. I mean, yeah, that's PTSD. Yes. (laughs) Like, yeah. Girl, (laughs) that's going to come up later. But she's totally great. Hey. You know your shit. I play people who who have a lot of trauma. So A plus B equals C. Just dripping in trauma, Monique. Basically. (laughs) So in 2016, Terry begins to drastically lose weight, and he is struggling to stay above 150 pounds. Damn. The weight loss happened to coincide with his decision to finally talk about his experiences. In 2013, he tries to track Toby down, only to find out that he had lost his career and his wife and had eventually succumbed to alcoholism. I mean, yeah. Yeah. How could you not? Exactly. And then... Probably to cope with all this shit. Of course. And from the wife's standpoint, you know, again, this is speculation because it's not my story and I also don't know what the fuck, but 
you know that the government people got to her and were like, yeah, look, he's like had a psychotic break, blah, 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 blah. And he's probably being like, no, this happened to me. This happened to me. This happened to me. Yeah. To the point that she's like, I don't want to hear about the fucking alien thing anymore. It didn't happen. You're an alcoholic. You have issues and I'm not going to deal with this anymore. Exactly. Oh, so fucked. I know. So So nefarious. He also wondered if Toby had taken those pills Mm. they'd given him and what effect that had had on him. Right. Terry also believes that Toby's obsession with astronomy was actually a result of him being abducted as a child. (gasps) And that both of them had kind of been like targeted from the time that they were kids. Right. So most of his life is actually peaceful after the incident Devil's Den. He kind of tucks away these memories and he just goes on with his law career and focuses on his marriage and his family. But a couple of things occurred. So around Christmas in 1987, he's walking around the mall with his wife and he catches sight of something out of the corner of his eye and his knees literally buckle. The room starts spinning. He gets a wave of nausea. He literally has to grab onto his wife so he can just remain standing. That's how strongly this affects him. Oh, shit. He tells his wife to go look at the book cover that triggered him. And on the cover is a drawing of an alien that looks identical to drawings he'd made in 1977 and <gasps> 1979. He also had a similar moment of panic months earlier when he happened to see four headless mannequins in a shop window. Mm. He realized that these incidents were something completely outside his control. An involuntary physiological reaction to a visual stimulus. The mannequin heads and the book cover triggered something that had frightened him literally to the point of panic. Mm. His wife suggests he go see a doctor. His nightmares aren't really happening much right now. They may be one a year, but he follows up on it to ease her mind. He takes a bunch of tests to rule out psychosis and mental illness, which it was determined that he had no sign of mental illness. However, the therapist notes that he does have elevated levels of anxiety and paranoia, not to the point of psychosis, but his test scores were consistent with those suffering from PTSD. PTSD. Monique called it. Boom. So despite his reservations, he does actually end up telling her that he saw the UFOs and she's understanding, but he gets really uncomfortable talking about it and he just ends the session early. Mm -hmm. He doesn't go to see her again, but she follows up with him and recommends he talks to a colleague of hers who specifically works with people who had experienced like his. He told, oh, shit. That's cool. Yeah. It was very cool. And I kind of wish he had followed up on it and I had gotten to hear that part and read that part. But he just tells her he's going to consider it and he doesn't ever follow up on it and just makes it. Yeah. Harry. He just wanted to minimize the incident and he just ends up brushing yeah, of it course. off. Yeah. yeah. He just wants to get on with his he life. He be done with yeah, this yeah. shit. Yeah. So the other strange occurrence that happened was usually in the fall on Sunday mornings, he would just take a nice leisurely motorcycle ride. And he always takes one of a few routes and he schedules this trip so that he always comes back to the house around 1030 or 11. Goes on one of these rides and he suddenly has this like waking up moment where he's on a gravel road and he doesn't know how he got there. Mm. He's like, this is weird. I'm on a motorcycle. Gravel roads are not a good idea for motorcycles. I wouldn't take this on this road. So he's like, whatever. Gets back on the road. Drives back home. He gets home. His wife is freaking the fuck out and Mm. is like, where the fuck have you been? (gasps) He's like, what do you mean? He looks at the clock. It's almost one o'clock in the afternoon. And he has somehow lost two hours of time that he can't explain. He didn't stop for gas. He didn't get stuck behind a train. Like literally nothing. He just went on this ride, broke up on the gravel road, came back. His wife remembers something she read a few years back. 
and wonders if he had an experience like, you mentioned earlier, Betty and Barney Hill. Yeah. Whose alien abduction case coined the phrase missing time. Since there weren't a lot of explanations that made sense to him, Terry admitted the alien abduction was a possibility he couldn't immediately dismiss. But honestly, he didn't really want to examine it further because every time he talks about the incidents, the nightmares come back and they're so awful. Mm. Then Sheila tells him what she saw the night before. She tells him she knows it's hard to believe, but that when she woke up, she saw a three foot tall woman standing (gasps) at the end of the bed. When she reached over to wake up Terry, he wasn't there. (gasps) The woman wore a dark hood, but Sheila said she could see that her eyes were big. Despite the strangeness of the situation, she said she didn't feel scared at all. The woman just looks at her, and then Sheila heard a voice in her head saying, everything's okay, just go back to sleep. So that's what she did. She wondered the next morning if it had all been a dream, but it felt so real Mm. that she told Terry she was convinced that it had really happened. She also told him there was a drop of blood on his pillowcase when (gasps) she woke up the next morning. Mm. And Terry sold his bike the following week. So Terry's nightmares began again in 2013 after the implant was found and started up again in 2017 after a UFO conference in Houston. A month afterwards, he was visited by the half-human alien who had shepherded him through his abductions. Mm. He awoke fully seated in his living room facing her. He said she looked strange, that she was wearing a Betty Rubble-style wig and oversized glasses, Mm. and that she was dressed in all black. Ah. Which immediately made him think of the men in black. Yeah. And as we talked about during my first story, you said sometimes it's not the government agents just wearing black suits. It's actually them dressed up in what they think a human's supposed to look like. Right, but it's just off. Just off. Like in this, the the Betty Rubble wig. It's like, what? It's hair. What's the problem? That's what you guys look like. Yes, exactly. Another thing is like the coloring will be off or like the lips will be drawn weird. That it's just off. It's like, no one looks like this. Yes. It's like the Uncanny Valley thing where it's like, you're close, but this is not human. And I know this is not human. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he remembers the story his wife tells him about waking up and seeing the small woman at the foot of the bed. And he starts to think, I wonder if this is her. Since they usually speak telepathically, and that's how they continue to speak, she confirms it had been her at the foot of the bed. And that she had been the one with him always, even when he was a little kid, Mm. playing with the toys in that room. So his first thought is, oh my God, they're going to take me again. They're going to do more experimentation on me. Mm. Like, this is just going to be more pain for me. But she reassures him, saying there's going to be no more examinations ever. Then Why? Because he's... He's not young and sexy anymore to be pro. <laughs> I don't want him anymore. No. Smash the intergalactic patriarchy. <laughs> this is bullshit. Oh my God. That is bullshit. <laughs> God damn it. So then he obviously starts to worry that she's there because he had started to talk about his experiences. She tells him her host did not like that he was sharing his experiences, but they could no longer safely remove his memories without harming him. So that was why she had come to warn him. He asked her how many others had been tagged over the years, and she told him many, many thousands over three generations. Wait, so the stuff in his leg is a fucking tag? Is a tag, yep. Oh my god. Like we fucking tag research animals. They fucking tagged him. 
like a research animal so they could continue to study, to study him, him throughout his whole life. That is so fucked and so creepy. So creepy. The idea of that is so horrifying. Oh my God. Yep. She told him he had devices in both of his legs, <gasps> that they served a purpose but wouldn't say what, and that they caused him no harm. Except she- at the two mile mark. But again, that was not pain. It was just like a numb, a numb spot. I don't give a fuck. Fuck right? you. Also that one time when he like literally couldn't walk because it was so painful. Exactly. To that. Yeah. She warned him though that if he continued to speak and publish about his experiences, that her host would remove them from his legs while he was sleeping. They would- I'm sorry. So my brain understands that. If he keeps speaking, they're going to take the tracking device out. Out of his legs. Bitch, then book Oprah. Get him the fuck out of my legs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she said they, that her host would not allow them to be examined by terrestrial scientists. Fine. Goodbye. Leave me alone. <laughs> Take them out. I'm on fucking, enter, fucking Entertainment Weekly. Let's go. But here's the thing. You kind of, I mean, I would want them to be taken out by a doctor so that I could see them and examine them and like know that they were fucking, obviously, even if you got them removed by a doctor, you're never going to see them ever again. Right, of course. I'm just more like, leave me the fuck alone. I want to get a good night's sleep. I don't want to have nightmares. I want to be fucking I don't want you to keep assaulting me. Literally, yes. Literally. Like, take them. Like, who the fuck do I need to call about this? Do I need to get Perez Hilton on the phone? to get these motherfuckers out of me for fucking, like, years. Yeah. Like, that's all I had to do was talk about it? (laughs) Done. Fuck. Awesome. Schedule me for surgery. Literally. Then she warns him that there are two things that he shouldn't disclose for his safety. Oh. One, the human crew members on the ship that he saw that were wearing their little uniforms. Mm -hmm. And two the city on the moon. Then she said words that still haunt him to this day. Quote, your government will kill you. (gasps) End quote. Which, oh my God. Also, they totally will. I mean, 10,000%. Yes. If they're showing up to be like, this isn't a thing, but we need to know everything you know about the thing that's not a thing. And to make sure you don't have any pictures of the thing that wasn't there that you didn't see. Yeah. This literally reminds me like when you hang out with one of your girlfriends and she'd just gone through a breakup that she didn't initiate. And she's like, I mean, whatever. I don't like give a fuck. It's like, clearly you do because you've been talking about it for fucking hours. Nonstop. Yeah. So like, yeah. yeah. But I don't care. It's fine. I'm over it. It's like, you're not though. You're clearly not. you can't shut the fuck up about it. Clearly not. <laughs> so it's like, whatever. This isn't a thing. Except we need to like raid your house to find all the things about it not being a thing. And like fucking hypnotize you. Give you truth serum to hear what you know about the thing that's not a thing. The American government is like a jaded girlfriend who can't handle the breakup with the aliens. It's like, no, I have your shit at my apartment. It's not over, okay? I fucking know. Whatever. I mean, aliens aren't even a thing anyway. Like, I don't even know why we were talking about it. But like, what do you know about it? Like, did he say anything about me? Like, what's happening? (laughs) I mean, were they like... Oh my god, like, what did he say? Like... Did he seem with like a sexier version of me or like, no, like, <laughs> did he, he look cool and like chill? Or, like, did that, he bring me up? Was he with that half human alien bitch? Cause fuck her. I don't like her. Fuck her. I mean, but whatever. I don't care. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's it. not even a thing anyway. Cause I'm over it and it's not even real anyway. It's not real. Exactly. Sketchy guys. Sketchy. We see you. Because it's clearly a fucking thing. <laughs> Girl, this whole fucking book, honestly, like had me a little shook. I was a little a little shaken at the end of this. I mean, I'm sure caring about yeah. it. So she tells him his government will kill him. And after that, he just wakes up in the living room, fully seated at dawn. 
He tries not to dwell on what she says, and he honestly feels safer the more he talks about his experience and the more people know, because he just has that exposure now. So less than a month after, call her Betty, because of her Betty Rebel wig. Less than a month after Betty's visit on November 16th, 2017, Terry woke up with a pain in both of his legs on his thighs. <gasps> 24 hours later, the bruises started to appear. Oh, shit. There was a box-shaped wound in the center of a circle of bruises that looked like petals. <gasps> Two days after, he set out to get an x-ray to confirm the metal was no longer there. After a few no-goes, he finally finds a chiropractor who's interested after he tells him the story and he sees the original x-rays. He writes him a prescription for no charge, and his only request is that he sends him a copy of the film when he gets it developed. Fuck yeah. Hell One of us. us. One, One of us. <laughs> Two hours later, Terry has the x-rays, and sure enough, there's no longer any pieces of metal in his legs. Betty had been right. But Terry is like, okay, now they're gone. I don't really know how I feel about this. Like, on the one hand, I'm glad they're gone, but I also don't have, like, proof anymore that this was ever a thing. So the next morning, he drops off the x-rays to the chiropractor since he was interested, and that night the doctor calls him to chat, noting that the metallic objects were mostly gone, but the anomalies below the knee were still intact. Terry's what? shocked. Yeah, and he's like, what do you mean by mostly gone? The chiropractor's like, yeah, there's two wires left <gasps> behind. You can see them clearly on the x-ray. Your work is sloppy, aliens. Right? Get your shit. That's evidence, bitch. And sure enough, Terry looks at the x-ray and they're tiny but plain to see. He's thrilled. There was proof that not only had they been there in the first place, but they had been removed somehow. Mm -hmm. He thanks the man who, again, didn't want any payment and just asks for a copy of the book. So he brings his x-rays to one of his friends who's a radiologist and talks with her about them. She said there were no film anomalies on any of the x-rays that the wires were consistent with the object in the original x-ray, and in her medical opinion, the metallic structure was now gone with no trace of its removal, and in its place were two tiny lengths of wire in his muscle. And essentially that the x-rays hadn't been tampered with. Exactly. No film anomalies. Like, mm. they are, those are genuine x-rays. She also noted, like the chiropractor, that the round artifacts remain unchanged. Terry believes that he was tagged like a research animal and that his life was studied, monitored, and even manipulated over the years. After talking to the radiologist, Terry said, quote, I am 100% certain by the weight of the evidence that during my life, a non-human entity implanted this object in my right knee, end quote. This is the way things stand as of 2018, but I will leave you with this, quote, our standard of proof is by the weight of the evidence. Mm. The weight of the evidence over the past 60 years is more than enough to prove that extraterrestrial beings exist and that they visit our planet. If I were to take the case for extraterrestrial life visiting Earth to a trial by jury, I am confident that I could prove my case by the weight of the evidence. People need to know the truth. Alien entities are real and we are all at risk of abduction or worse. <gasps> We have already opened our doors to monsters. They have arrived. End quote. Oh my god. And that is the fucking insane story of Terry Lovelace. Holy fuck. Girl. That's insane. It's, oof. Yes. One, 
Poor Terry. Oh my God. Poor Terry. I feel so bad for him. And he, poor Toby. Poor Toby. Yeah, he really got oh, it. So much worse. Yeah. You know, and this is one of those things that, again, whenever you hear about people talking about experiences that they were abducted or, or things happened to them, it seems like to me that there's no reason to make it up because they're not like... They don't make bank. They're not flushed in no. cash. It like ruined their life for the most part. Yeah. And their reputations. Like, and Of course. And the thing is, you know, Terry and Toby are both military men. Yes. If I'm going to trust these people to defend this country and defend me and literally die for me, I'm going to trust their experience. Yeah. I think it would be insane not to. You know? And kind of fucked up, honestly. 10,000%. Yeah, of course. And again, it's the Air Force. Like, they're familiar with aircraft. Yes. They know what the fuck is going on. And it's like, sure, okay, you can have some sort of secret prototype that they don't know about. And it's like, when they test shit like that, like, I'm pretty sure it's the government. They can make sure there's nobody the fuck around and, like, it's cool. Nobody's going to see this. They're not going to just pop up over a fucking silo that some guy's doing routine maintenance on. Like, oh, hey, yeah, we're testing our secret helicopter prototype. Right. And I mean, and here's the thing. Like, fuck-ups happen all the time. You know, I have a lot of friends who work in tech and they're like, humans are easier to hack than the tech. Oh, so, yeah. So, like, for instance, like, those data breaches that happen you know, every now and then, it's not that they hack the technology. Some, like, a hacker will send an email being like, a oh, we, email, need, yeah. we need you to verify your Netflix account, put oh, in your address, or, 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 or yeah. put in your, your password, and that's how the fuck everything gets leaked. They don't hack the technology, they hack the people. So people fuck up all the time. That's not even the issue that I have here. It's, again, it's the thing of, no, aliens aren't a thing, the government official stances this isn't a thing except i need to know everything you know about the thing that's not the thing yes exactly it's like they're obsessed with them or something yeah and they have the fucking receipts of the fucking literally x-rays the receipts i have some more receipts for you actually (gasps) so this is the picture of his legs after they took the (gasps) holy shit took the implants out it's fucking creep and like You could do that to yourself, I guess, but like how? You'd really have to. It literally looks like a flower-shaped bruising pattern with like a wound in the center of it. And they look almost identical and it's on both of his legs right above his knees. And the thing is, is from what I can tell in these pictures, he's not like a skeletal dude. No, where he would like bruise super easily and it's like, yeah. And bruising, especially to this extent, it's much harder to bruise the fleshier parts of your body than it is the the parts that are right by bone that are flush against bone yeah and this is a very fleshy part and these bruises are very pronounced yeah and they're just like they're in such a fucking weird pattern like what yeah i mean this if he did this himself which i don't think so like that's a lot of commitment and for what yeah exactly exactly for people to act like you're fucking yeah crazy and you fucking made some shit up you can scroll one over and it will also be the x-ray with the wires if you're interested. Oh, shit. Yeah. So you can see it, it is actually like a distinct wire in his leg still. He has evidence. He's like, well, everything that you said that he was like, I in a court of law, I could prove beyond a reasonable doubt that this fucking happened. Yes. Yes. All the shit he has, like all the shit from other people, 
it's crazy. Read the book. I highly recommend it. I really enjoyed it. I obviously couldn't include everything in here because it was like, that was a long story in of itself. And that was me trimming it down. So what's the name of the book again? Incident at Devil's Den by Terry Lovelace Esquire. Super awesome. There's apparently a sequel. Oh, shit. Yeah, which I guess was a bunch of people who read his book and were like, oh my God, thank you so much. Like me too. (gasps) This is the shit that happened to me. So I think that's like, fuck. Yeah. So I'm excited. That might be like my next, my next paranormal book I read. Okay. Hey. Um, that was amazing. Thank you. Holy fuck. I don't, I mean, the alien thing is not super my jam. It is not super your jam. Um, so I, I obviously, because of that, I don't know as much about it, but I don't recall a situation where there's this much physical evidence. Yeah. No, you're definitely right. often, you know, like with uh, Betty and Barney Hill, you know, I think he had bruises around his groin because they extracted his semen semen, as well. But the big thing with him was they went under hypnosis and then it was recorded. Have you heard the tapes? I didn't, but... They're, I have heard that they're very hard to listen to, that they're like very upsetting. They're really upsetting. Yeah, they're really, really, really upsetting. I think that's probably the only reason I haven't listened to them, but I almost want to after this. Like I'm willing to like put myself through that upset just to... Barney specifically is freaking the fuck out in the tapes. Like really? he's freaking the fuck out and sobbing. Just talking and about it, it's giving me chills. Ugh. So the evidence of the little bit of alien abduction stories that I've looked into it's been that it's been yes. I've gone under hypnosis and this is what came out yes not here's the x-ray showing the thing they, the tracking device they implanted they implanted in me. in me and this weird fucking flower petal arrangement of like bruises yeah of when they took it out that too but the, there's like the thing in his calf muscle yeah. remember yeah it's like the density of bone for no reason I don't know it's fucking weird. I can't wait till you guys see the fucking pictures on Instagram because they're kind of fucking wild. They're crazy. Yeah. This fucking, yeah, this whole fucking story was crazy. Like once I read it, I was like, I can't not tell this fucking story. Like it's too <laughs> fucking wild. I got yeah. to a point literally where I was just like, I wasn't prepared for the, like as soon as I got to the tanks with the pink water and the like half human hybrids inside, I was like, uh, I'm sorry. This is what? literally the stuff that horror movies are made yes! of. Yes. Yes. I was like, I was not prepared. I was prepared for like, we go in the white room and like, we whatever. And they did some exams and that was it. I was like, not prepared for the crew. I was not prepared for for any of that shit. I mean, this is the type of thing that like, I feel like you get some major alcohol or drug addiction to quell it or you just die by suicide. Like, I don't, I don't know how you like come back from this situation. Seriously. Yeah. Because holy fuck. Toby didn't. I mean, yeah. I get it. Fuck. Like. And then, because it's not traumatizing enough, you went through the thing. Then you have the government being like, I'm going to ruin your life about this. Like, it's not bad enough. You have to live with this thing that happened to you. I'm also going to ruin your life. Yes. Over this thing that independently in and of itself is the most traumatizing thing you will ever experience. Yes. Okay, thanks. Bye. So horrible. So upsetting. Awful. But that was amazing. Thank you. Do you have a brutal true crime story to accompany my terrifying alien abduction story? Yeah. Ah, hey girl, hey. While you were correct to assume that I came back with lots of crazy stories from New Orleans. Of course you did, yes. Obviously, because 
Mary J and Malika fucking nailed it. I have put those in my back pocket. Okay. For another time. For another time. Okay. That's fair. For another time. Because this story, I've been sitting on it for a bit because when I thought of it, I had done a story that was adjacent in topic. Okay. And yeah. I didn't want to do like two too similar. similar. I feel that. So, I have that problem sometimes too. And realistically, I was afraid that you might beat me to the topic. No, maybe. <laughs> okay, know. no. I'm, we're very... That's simpatico. That's we're very true. fingers in the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> we are all the fingers in all the eyes, girl. <laughs> so, so I was like, there's no way I'm going to let Amy fucking beat me. To no, this. you got to get it. So you've heard the story. A businessman visits a foreign country, goes out for a night on the town, and hits it off with a sexy local. After a boozy evening, the two go back to his hotel room for some adult sexy time. The next morning, he wakes up in his hotel in a bathtub full of ice, a fresh large surgical scar on his lower back, and a note taped to the wall telling him (gasps) to call 911 for immediate medical attention. Yes! (laughs) Oh my god! All right, I'm so fucking excited right now. I mean, yes, same. (laughs) While he was passed out, his kidney was stolen and sold on the black market for thousands of dollars. The organ theft legend became popular in the 90s through email chains that were endlessly forwarded by grandma <laughs> with subjects like travelers beware in New Orleans. Oh, shit. Bring it fucking back. Yeah. In New Orleans in the late 90s, rumors that a crime ring was drugging tourists and harvesting their organs on the black market became so widespread that the police department had to release an official statement telling people it wasn't true. The statement read, quote, after an investigation into these allegations, the New Orleans Police Department has found them to be, and... In the statement released by the NOPD, the next line is in all caps and bold. Oh, shit. Okay. So they're not fucking around. Yeah. Completely without merit and without foundation. End quote. (laughs) Exclamation point. Exclamation point. Like, yeah. Bold italics underline, essentially. (laughs) You're not listening, so we have to scream it at you. That's not happening. Guys, this is not a fucking thing, and you need to fucking relax. To be fair, New Orleans would be a great place to, like, poach people for that. Because I feel like Mardi Gras, everyone's, like, wasted. Nobody's paying attention. You could totally just fucking... Not just Mardi Gras. Literally any time in New Orleans. Yes. Yes. That's very true. at any point in New Orleans. Go to Bourbon Street. Pick up a few kidneys on the way. Yeah. Yeah. At least. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how how much you would want to use them because I'm sure... (laughs) No. I don't think they'd be very good. I don't think they'd be top of the line kidneys. Exactly. These rumors made their way down to Central America but with a distinct difference. It was American tourists who were going down to Guatemala to prey on local children and steal their organs for transplantation. What? That was the rumor. And while no one knows how this rumor got started, the locals took it very seriously. And there were several instances of tourists in Latin America getting attacked by angry mobs who accused them of plotting to steal their organs. That's fucking wild. Yeah. One attack occurred in 1994 after a Guatemalan woman's eight-year-old child went missing, and Alaskan tourist June Weinstock was accused of kidnapping her. A mob quickly formed and savagely attacked the tourist with machetes, clubs, and metal pipes. Weinstock was repeatedly stabbed and almost beaten to death. 
Jesus. She was beaten so badly, she ended up in a long-term coma with broken arms, a fractured skull, and U.S. Marines guarding her hospital room because that's how fucking severe this shit was. Holy fuck, dude. The eight-year-old was later found. No problem. Totally not fine. Yeah. to any of this. Because when you think about it, the logistics of stealing a kidney in a foreign country from a child and then... What? what exactly like what you gonna take it back with you you gonna fucking do surgery on yourself while you're there like just this it, doesn't make any fucking sense yeah yeah just like pop it in your julie Carry a, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey girl. throw some ice on it you're good walk yes. through the airport you got and it just, you go right through customs no problem they don't <laughs> let you to fucking bring cheese with you but a rando kidney that's fine cool totally that's cool on the up and up Another American woman was nearly lynched under similar circumstances the previous month before the situation. Holy fucking shit, dude. Yeah. I was not prepared for this. Okay. No, girl, no one is. And look, this shit is fucking crazy. There's no way anyone could believe something as insane as this. Except that there's always a little bit of truth to every urban legend. (gasps) And in 2010... The World Health Organization estimated that organ trafficking accounts for approximately 10% of all kidney transplants performed annually across the globe, and that the business of international organ trafficking has an estimated value of over $1 billion. My jaw is on the floor over the fucking 10% thing. 10? 10%. Yes. That seems very high. Yeah. I had no idea. Okay. Shit, dude. No, me neither. It's going to get terrible. Uh, And in case you didn't put together what we were talking about, we are talking about human organ trafficking. So I'm going to get to the sources because I gave you what they call in television a teaser. I like that. Get them interested. Yeah. Chomping at the bit. And you're like, here. Exactly. Here's the business end of it. Exactly. Sources. Law.utah.edu. Medium.com. Upworthy.com, ABC News, Al Jazeera.com, The Guardian, Wikipedia.com, LA Times.com, NBC News.com, and Forbes.com. While we usually only associate human trafficking with sexual exploitation via forced sex work or forced labor, the Palermo Protocol under the United Nations Convention Against Transnational Organized Crime lists organ trafficking under the definition of human trafficking. The protocol states that human trafficking is, quote, the recruitment, transportation, transfer, harboring, or receipt of persons by means of the threat or use of force or other forms of coercion, of abduction, of fraud, of deception, of the abuse of power, or of a position of vulnerability, or of the giving or receiving of payments or benefits to achieve the consent of a person having control over another person for the purpose of exploitation. Exploitation shall include, at a minimum, the removal of organs, end quote. So where does this problem come from and what's driving the organ trafficking trade? As of September 2014, in the United States alone, there were 123,175 people waiting for life-saving organ transplants, and approximately 101,170 of these people were waiting for kidney transplants. In 2013, only 16,896 kidney transplants took place in the United States, with 4,453 people 
dying waiting for a kidney. In most countries, including the United States, buying and selling organs is illegal. But with such a high demand for organs and few legal ways to obtain them, the black market sale of organs fills an ever-growing need for people who have the means. People, mostly from wealthy, developed countries, seeking donor organs will pay upwards of $200,000, while the donors, usually from poorer, developing nations, would be lucky if they received less than 5000 of that. Jesus. With vast sums available to be made for organ traffickers, and with supply and demand driving the black market, organ trafficking has become an extremely difficult problem to deal with. In 2010, the World Health Organization estimated that approximately 10,000 black market operations involving purchased organs take place annually. Now, important to note, that was 2010. We will touch upon what is believed to be a more up-to-date number later on. Yeah, because you I'm sure it has only gotten worse. Um, yeah. Yep. <sighs> Move over, Amy Allen. Oh god. Amy traded. <laughs> oh god. I got my psychic hat on right now. I'm here for it. It's here, it's gutting for your job. <laughs> Again, while buying or selling organs is illegal in most countries, the United States has done very little to stop organ trafficking under its current laws. The sale of organs was banned under the National Organ Transplant Act of 1984. Yet, since NOTA's enactment, only one person has ever been prosecuted and convicted of organ trafficking, and that was in 2011. That's it? Yep. When Levy Isaac Rosenbaum, an Israeli citizen who lived in New York, admitted to brokering black market sales of kidneys to three Americans and making approximately $410,000 in the process. Worth noting... None of the Americans who received the trafficked organs were prosecuted. That's kind of fucked up. You should definitely have some repercussions from that. For sure. If people get booked on possession of narcotics, it's not just the drug dealers, the people who have it. People who bought it and you're in possession of it. Yeah. What the fuck? You possess an illegal organ you should not own. Right. Yes. And you didn't get it at a hospital. Yeah. You didn't roll into like... Organs are us. Yeah, no. You know, you are aware you have, you did some sketchy shit. You did some sketchy shit, yeah. But whatever. The U.S. doesn't give a fuck. The United Nations Global Initiative to Fight Human Trafficking divides organ trafficking into three broad categories. The first category encompasses situations traffickers force or deceive persons into giving up their organ. In January 2008, in Gurgaon, India, Laborer Mohammed Salim Khan began his day as most laborers did, by meeting at a central gathering spot where men would approach them with manual labor opportunities. At one of these spots, Khan was offered construction work for 150 rupees, or about 4 US dollars a day, and free food and free housing. He was taken to a three-story house, and the initial lack of work the first few days didn't raise any alarms because he was told he'd still be paid. Then tests were administered at gunpoint, (gasps) likely to determine his blood type, and Khan was eventually given a shot that made him pass out. When he awoke, Khan found himself in a state-of-the-art operating room that had been hidden within the house. He was in excruciating pain and had a new large scar that wrapped around (gasps) his waist. And there was a stranger in front of him wearing a surgical mask and gloves. Khan asked the stranger what had happened. 
the man replied, quote, your kidney has been removed, end quote. Full fucking body chills. No. Yes, your, your face is correct. He assured the unwilling patient that he was medically fine, but that if he ever spoke of the surgery, he would be killed. When asked if he believed the man's threat that someone was going to follow his every move for the rest of his life, Khan said, quote, If someone can forcibly take my kidney out of me, they could also kill me. Yes. Yeah. A few hours later, police raided the house turned to operating theater to find Khan, additional victims, Shaquille Ahmed, and Nassim Muhammad, along with two other men who were next in line for forced (gasps) kidney removals. Oh my God, that's awful. Can you imagine? I know. I'm like literally picturing like human centipede in your fucking, in my head right now. Where I like mean, you show up at somebody's house and they have a fucking, like a secret fucking surgical suite in their fucking basement. No. Basically. Oh my God. Police also raided another nearby house described by police as a quote, luxury guest house, end quote, owned by the doctor who performed the procedures. There... Five foreign tourists were found, including an American couple from Hawthorne, New York. These motherfuckers. These motherfuckers. Joy and Susan Matthew, who were staying there awaiting new kidneys, hoping to circumvent the long transplant wait list they faced back in the United States. Authorities also found a wait list of some 40 foreigners from at least five different countries. Damn. This was quite an operation. Oh, girl, you don't no. even fucking know. Pun totally unintended. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, they literally come out of me. I don't even, I have no control over them. It's all good. You're nailing it. Oh, fuck. That's crazy. The three victims were brought to Gurgaon Civil Hospital where they underwent medical testing. Dr. S.P. Banot said, quote, The MRIs all say the surgery has been done. The kidney has been removed. And the way the surgery has been conducted and the precision of the surgery all points to the professionalism of the operating surgeon, end quote. Yeah, he seems super profesh. Right? Yeah. I know they mean that in a technical sense, but yeah, I get it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Fuck this guy. Fuck this guy. Ahmed and Mohammed's stories were strikingly similar to Khan's in that they too were picked up at the local gathering spot, offered construction work, held in a house at gunpoint, and forcibly had their kidneys removed. On February 7th, 2008, Amit Kumar the leader of the kidney theft ring was arrested in the neighboring country of Nepal where he was hiding in a wildlife resort. At the resort, he made an unsuccessful attempt to bribe the Nepali officer to let him go because the fucking audacity. Yeah. The multi-billion rupee kidney theft ring went on for nine years. What? With more than... 600 people believed to have had their organs removed by Amit Kumar, who, by the fucking way, does not have a license to perform surgery. Of course not. Yeah. It's literally insult to injury. That's insane. And this thing is just going on for nine years. Like, nobody catches them, nobody gives a shit. I mean, it doesn't say, but let's be fucking real. People know, and they're just getting to to shut the fuck up about it and to leave them alone. Kidneys from most of the victims, who were the poor hailing from the nearby western Uttar Pradesh, were transplanted into clients from the United States, United Kingdom, Canada, Saudi Arabia, and Greece. In March 2013, a Central Bureau of Investigation special court convicted five people affiliated with the illegal ring, including Amit Kumar, who was charged with voluntarily causing grievous hurt 
by dangerous weapon, wrongful confinement, cheating, and criminal conspiracy. He was sentenced to seven years of rigorous imprisonment, which, whatever the fuck that means. Yeah. I don't, you should have at least gotten nine, the amount of years you fucking did Literally. the thing for. Yeah. Literally. Yeah, that seems like a light sentence. Yeah, and fined over 60 lakh, which is just over $80,000. But yeah, I think he got off basically scot-free. Yeah, that's fucked up. You kidnap people and forcibly remove Move their, their organs? Like what? And it's like seven years is fine. Okay. And some cash. Slap on the wrist. Thanks. Don't do that anymore. It's only going to get worse. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I show up, Monique. <laughs> For the time when it gets worse. The second category identified by the United Nations Global Initiative to Fight Human Trafficking, and perhaps the one under which most organ trafficking takes place, is where someone agrees to sell their organ but they're either not paid at all for the organ or they are paid significantly less than they originally agreed upon. In Hoksha, Nepal, residents estimate that nearly 70 people out of 300 have sold their kidneys on the black market. Damn, okay. Unsuspecting villagers are tricked into selling their kidneys by a network of middlemen who prey on people's poverty and lack of education and awareness. People lured into selling their kidneys are usually paid half of what they're promised, if anything at all. They are also often told that the removed kidney will grow back like, quote, a mango on a tree, end quote. Oh, no. And that their health will be unaffected once the vital organ has been removed. Uh, dude, it's not your liver. You can't, it doesn't just grow right. back. Yeah. It's, you know, it's not a vestigial tail. Yeah. Like yeah. And, and there's a video that I watched and they interviewed this Nepali guy who had sold his kidney and his dad had also sold his kidney as well to make some money because they're super fucking poor. Yeah. And it's just the most devastating thing because they don't know any better. They're told, everything will be fine. You'll be fine. This is a super like standard, nothing procedure. Just going to pop it out. You're good to go. The dad ended up dying because of complications from the surgery. Fuck yeah. And then the guy who's being interviewed is like, yeah, I've had nothing but issues like urinating. And since the removal of the kidney, it's like, yeah, because that's the job of the kidney. Yes. And you had it removed by somebody who didn't have a fucking license to do that. Like, Ugh. And you just feel your heart goes out to them because they just don't know any better. Yeah. And they're like, oh, great. I can like finally build a house. Like he used his money to build a house because he was living like literally in a tin hut. Yeah. Before. But he's Ugh. like, now I have a lot of pain and I have difficulty urinating, which is a thing you kind of have to do multiple times a day. That's it's so hard. So- and like, I'm sure the risk of infection is super exactly. high because like you're not staying in that nice, clean, sterile environment that you got your kidney out in. Like they're just sending you fucking back home. Yeah, exactly. The organ trade also appears to be flourishing in Europe, bolstered by an EU funded crackdown on refugees by security forces. There, the hostile environment created by an arbitrary detention of migrants and the hike in smugglers fees has presented organ brokers with an opportunity to profit from those desperate to raise funds to cross the Mediterranean. 19-year-old DeWitt escaped from Eritrea at 13 to avoid forced indefinite enlistment in the military service. His family helped him pay smugglers to travel via Sudan to Egypt, 
struggling with debt and desperate to make the sea crossing to Europe, he looked in vain for regular work. Then he met a Sudanese man who suggested a, quote, safe and easy way, end quote, to raise the cash, uh... selling a kidney. DeWitt said, quote, I thought it would be a good way of getting money fast and traveling to Europe. I was worried, but he convinced me that it is a very easy operation and you can live a normal life with one kidney. It was a lot of money. How could I say no to $5,000 when I have nothing and my family needs help? Fuck, that's heartbreaking. Right? Yeah. Like, you got, like, I would fucking do it if my family was starving and there was fucking no other option. Like, and I you're can't... like, I just need to get to Europe? Yeah. And I can't do this on the up and up? I can't just get a regular fucking job? Ugh. Dawit was given blood and urine tests, then taken for surgery. After surgery, he was taken by his broker, Ali, to an apartment to recover. He was then introduced to Isaac, who promised to bring him to Damietta, where a fishing boat would take him to Sicily. The broker encouraged Dawit to accept his offer, claiming that he would use the money that he owed Dawit for his kidney for Dawit's passage. Oh no, okay. Yep. If you can tell where this is going. <sighs> it's not going to end well, yep. It's not going to go great. He's not going to be writing a Vespa I was like, then he got to Europe? No? Nope. Damn. It's not looking great. After two weeks recovering in the apartment, Dawit called Isaac to confirm travel arrangements, but the phone line was inactive. And Ugh. Ali was nowhere to be found. Fuck. Dawit is convinced that Ali used the money to make his own way to Europe. When he reported the incident to the police, Dawit was threatened with deportation. What the fuck? Yep. So he's literally, like, he's completely fucked. Yeah, you're like, dude, I'm trying to do the right thing. Like, this is a fucking problem. Maybe address this problem. Exactly. I'm not the problem. And they're like, you're here illegally, so we're going to fucking deport you. Yeah. Sorry about your kidney. This is a thing that you hear a lot with sex workers who, when, you know, they get taken advantage of or they get beaten up, for instance, by a client. Yeah. And then they fear going to the police because Because they're they're afraid that they're going to get arrested for doing sex work. And the thing is, is the people who perpetrate this fucking know it, and that's why they fucking do it. Yes. Because they know they're going to keep their mouth shut. Because if they go to the cops, the cops are going to be like, oh my God, who did this to you? Let's write up a report. They're like, well, why were you engaging in prostitution? We're going to fucking arrest you. (sighs) Infuriating. Literally. Yes. It is infuriating. Uh. Anecdotal evidence suggests organ brokers are increasingly approaching migrants with the offer of a passage to Europe in exchange for donating an organ. Smugglers operating out of Egypt and Libya have raised their fees from $1,500 to $3,500 to maintain profits. Unable to finance travel, people smugglers are referring migrants to organ brokers in Cairo to raise the necessary capital. Asha from Sudan was recruited in Khartoum and taken to Cairo. Quote, They said they would find me work, and then they would take me to Italy. I did not trust these men, but it was impossible for me to stay in Khartoum. My children were sick from not eating, so I listened to them, end quote. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Okay. And that's the thing. They know they, t- they are taking advantage of these people specifically because they know they're fucked. Yes. Oh, it's so terrible. When she arrived in Cairo, Asha was told that she would not be going to Europe. Instead, they told her that she would be quote-unquote, donating her kidney. She was promised 2000 if she complied, 
And if not, the men said that they would take her kidney by force. Jesus fucking Christ. That's not an option. Like, either we give you $2,000 to take your kidney or we take your kidney and don't give you any fucking money. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. I guess I'll take the one where I get some money out of this then. And, like, also assume that they're actually even going to give it to you. Because these guys aren't exactly on the up and up. Uh, Clearly not, yeah. Asha was taken by taxi to a nondescript apartment in Alexandria, locked in a room with medical equipment, and told to think about her children. (gasps) Which... Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. That was so... I... That... That made me feel weird. Yeah. I mean, it should. That's disgusting. It's disgu- it's li- it's disgusting. I don't like that. That's yeah. correct. It's terrifying and it's fucking disgusting. And it's like, keep my children out of your motherfucking mouth. Seriously. Like, you manipulative fuck. Exactly. How dare you? Fuck you. Uh, Ugh. After surgery, Asha reported one of the brokers to the police. He was arrested and held for 30 days. That's it? Then released without charge. What? Yeah. In July 2018, a statement from the Egyptian Health Ministry announced that 37 people had been found guilty by an Egyptian court on charges related to illicit trading of human organs. Asha lives in fear for her life, subjected to threats and intimidation by the organ broker and his associates. She says that she was told that if she did not withdraw her statement her children would bear the consequences. She said, quote, I'm worried about what will happen to my children. I'm worried they will come for their organs too. <gasps> End quote. Chills. Right? Can, oh I can't even fucking God. imagine this. Yeah. And as a mom, I'm sure you're just like, you're like, whatever keeps my kids safe. Like, I don't want them involved in this in any way, shape, or form. Of course. And then to be like, no, in addition to having to quote unquote donate your organ having your to forcibly donate your organ then it's like oh and by the way we can come after your kids whenever the fuck whenever want. yeah fuck you this is all fucking terrible yeah it's Jesus. just gonna get worse if you can imagine <laughs> finally the third category is where vulnerable people including typically the poor and homeless are treated for an ailment which may or may not exist and during that treatment their good organs are removed without the person's knowledge and while that's fucking horrifying, the next couple of stories I have aren't exactly that. They're worse. Oh, no. Okay. Of course they are. Yeah. Antonio Medina, a paperless Central American migrant moving through Mexico to the United States, claims he knows of a fellow traveler who witnessed organ trafficking after he and his wife were captured by a criminal gang. Medina told Al Jazeera, quote, he was traveling with his wife and the gangsters took both of them. They put them in separate rooms. He heard his wife screaming. (gasps) No. After he went in and saw her on the table with her chest wide open and without her heart (gasps) or kidney. End quote. What the fuck? Literally, what the fuck? Like, the kidney one, I, like, kind of get. You technically can live with one. But, like, they just fucking took her heart? They just killed her and took her organs. Straight up murdered. What the fuck? Yep. Medina's friend said he was saved from the grisly house turned clinic by Mexican soldiers. The claims, like many aspects of the organ trafficking business, are impossible to independently verify. Then there's what's going on in China. And if you haven't started drinking or engaging in whatever to take the edge off. Oh no. This would be the time to do it. (laughs) 
All right. In 2016, China recorded 4,000 organ donations, which was far more than the number of people who volunteered to be donors. So, where are all these organs coming from? In 2019, the China Tribunal, which was initiated by the International Coalition to End Transplant Abuse in China, concluded that some of the more than 1.5 million detainees in Chinese prison camps are being killed for their organs to serve the booming transplant trade. What Mm -hmm. the ever-living fuck? It's believed that many of the organs are being harvested from the religious group Falun Gong, which is a modern spiritual practice with a heavy focus on meditation and compassion. (gasps) The government of China has banned the group in the 90s, claiming them to be a quote-unquote evil cult, but they were more likely outlawed because the authoritative state sees the movement's huge popularity as a threat. The Chinese government has imprisoned tens of thousands of Falun Gong followers, many of whose organs have been forcefully harvested, sometimes while the patients are still alive. Oh my god, no, 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 no. Yep. And I'm sure they're not anesthetized. They're not They're not under any sort of fucking painkillers or anything. I don't think they give a fuck. In, in one of the articles that I read about this... They interviewed a doctor who was forced to do these. <gasps> They're forcing the doctors to? Yes. And oh. when the doctor cut <gasps> into the patient, they started bleeding. And he was like, oh my God, that means their heart is still is still pumping and that they're still alive. And they were just kind of like, shut the fuck up and get the organs. Oh my God. That's just, I... It's literally the stuff of nightmares in the horror movies. It is. Oh my fucking God. Yeah. But on a fucking huge governmental level. Like... Yes. It's government sanctioned. Like, like there's no fucking words of like how insane and enraging all of this fucking is. I had no fucking idea. Yeah. I mean, me neither. Allegations of forced organ harvesting first came to light in 2001 after a boom in transplant activity was registered in China, and with wait times becoming unusually short. Chinese websites advertised hearts, lungs, and kidneys for sale and available to book in advance, suggesting that the victims were killed on demand. Oh my god. Oh, you just just order the kidney, put that in your Amazon cart. Yeah, exactly. When do you want it? On Thursday? Cool. cool. We two, got you. Great. Two-day shipping? Prime? Awesome. Amazing. Great. Oh my god. This is disgusting. This is horrifying. Several survivors of prison camps told the tribunal of how they were subjected to physical examinations, including blood tests, x-rays, and ultrasounds. And they didn't tell them what it was for. But it was likely to ensure that the victim's organs were healthy and fit for transplantation. In its final judgment, the tribunal concluded, quote, Forced organ harvesting has been committed for years throughout China on a significant scale. The practice is of unmatched wickedness on a death-for-death basis with the killings by mass crimes committed in the last century, end quote. Regarding to the tribunal's report, the Chinese embassy in London said it's, quote, government always follows World Health Organization's guiding principles on human organ transplantation and has strengthened its management on organ transplant in recent years. On March 21st, 2007, the Chinese State Council enacted the regulation on human organ transplant, providing that human organ donation must be done voluntarily and gratis, end quote, which is political speak for fucking bullshit. Yeah, 
I'm fucking sure you do. Go fuck yourself. (sighs) While China alleges the practice has been outlawed and replaced with a system of voluntary donations, another report published on November 14th, 2019, in the BMC Medical Ethics Journal, five months after the tribunal's findings, refuted this, alleging that those claims of reform are being supported by the, quote, systematic falsification and manipulation of official organ transplant data sets in China, end quote. Of course. Yep. Because it's the fucking Chinese government and they can do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. Yeah. Susie Hughes from the International Coalition to End Transplant Abuse in China, which initiated the China Tribunal, welcomed the findings of the new report, saying it, quote, exposes the lies and deception that mark China's so-called, quote-unquote, reforms. The falsification of the China Organ Transplant Response System data appears to be part of an elaborate cover-up that disguises the state-run mass murder of innocent people for their organs in China, end quote. And yet, China continues to insist that forced extractions have stopped and that its efforts to reform date back to 2010 with a system of voluntary donations replacing forced organ harvesting from prisoners, which also, in case you're not aware, China has the number one execution rate in the world. I actually did not know that. Holy shit. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me, but I did not explicitly know that. Yeah, so they're just executing these political prisoners and fucking taking their organs and selling them on the black market. They're not even selling them on the black market. They're selling it on their market. Uh, Yeah. I couldn't find any update on what's happening with all of this. Last year, the Chinese government said that 10,000 transplants occurred, but hospital data shows this number is actually much closer to 70,000. Holy fucking shit. So they performed 60,000 illegal transplants, basically? Yes. A fucking year? Yep, last year. That's next level. That's a, that's a level I did not think it, I did not think it would, could go to, would no. go to. Yeah. I was not prepared for this, Monique. No. You were correct. No. And I feel really bad that I like got a little excited when you first started talking about this. Cause I was like, yay, the old wake up in the bathtub. Ha ha ha. No, literally same. I was, I like concerned myself with like, how jazzed I was <laughs> okay. about this topic. That was me. <laughs> and then it wasn't till I really got to China that I just, I went from being uncomfortably giddy to just being fucking angry and enraged. Oh my God. Yeah, dude. I'm fucking there with you. I like mean, you, uh Because it just looks like China is still forcibly harvesting organs from its political prisoners and denying that they're doing it. And they're just fucking getting away with it. Yeah. And, and I fucking hate everything because everyone knows they're doing it. And literally the only fucking thing that has been done is a strongly worded letter has been written to China. That's it. You're like, hey, we BT know you're does. doing it. Can you stop? Like, it's not cool. Everyone's kind of like, eh, and they're like, about it. But they're like, we're not doing anything. So we're fine. And I'm just so fucking angry and enraged because... Rightfully so, Yes. This is literally a crime against humanity. Literally. It's literally happening right fucking now. And I didn't know that. I was going to say, I didn't even know about it. Like, I feel like a piece of shit, but I I had no idea. Yeah. And obviously... But people know about it and just nothing is happening. And they're just doing whatever the fuck they want. And it's one of those things that it's so hard to just... We're really blessed in the United States, here in the United States. And we're not without our problems. 
definitely fucking are. But it's really hard to be like, oh my God, I had the worst day my internet was out. When in China, there are people who are literally, all they're trying to do is live their motherfucking lives. And the government is killing them for their organs. Yes. And they're being held in concentration camps prior to this. So it's not great. Even if you're not getting volunteered for fucking organ donation. Exactly. And I'm just so enraged and so fucking angry. And I just don't even know what to do. Like, I don't know what to do with this because yeah, what do you do? Is Be- there an organization that is working to fight this? That maybe there's donation um, options? I don't. I, the only organizations that I know about this are are the... Like the tribunal? The, and the tribunal, are, yeah. Are the International Coalition to End Transplant Abuse in China. Okay. And the, the BMC Medical Ethics Journal that also did their findings, but I don't... Okay, I was just curious. If, yeah, because I because again, I feel awful. Like, and obviously, I don't know. I can't go to China and fight this. I'm not a lawyer that's going to right. And so I feel very unequipped to same. deal with a situation that I'm obviously very upset by. So I just didn't know if there was like no. I mean, there kind of isn't. Oh and my that's god, the thing. that's even more upsetting. Like because these <sighs> these organizations keep doing their investigations and keep coming up with the same thing and keep writing their reports and China's just like yeah we're not doing that don't worry about it and i'm just uh, so angry about it because we can't really do anything and it just shouldn't be like that and no no god no and if someone out there does know a way to fight this or or bring more attention to it or please let us know because yeah this is fucking insane. And I, I, it is, I'm glad you did this story though. Cause again, I had no fucking idea and I'm sure yeah. there are a bunch of people out there, our listeners included, who might not have known as well. So yeah. And holy it's, fuck. Yeah. And I mean, it's fucking happening right now. And it, it's, it's so, I don't know. I'm just so fucking angry. <laughs> it seems like some fucking dystopian fucking yes. bullshit. Yes. This, exactly. This is like something you watch in like a Matrix type movie or like a horror movie. This isn't supposed to be happening now. No. Fuck no. And it is. Ugh. And it's not these hardened criminals. Not that that makes it any fucking better or justifies it. They're just members of a religion that literally like want peace and... And meditation. And meditation, yeah. right? <laughs> And they're enemies of the state. Oh, Jesus fucking uh, Christ. I'm just fucking angry. I mean, it's... Sorry, guys. You signed up for this. <laughs> I mean, you should be rightfully enraged. So that's yeah. the only acceptable response to this, honestly. So... Yeah. I mean, if you are interested in getting yourself another kidney, but you want to do it on the up and up, Iran is currently the only country that allows for the legal sale of organs. The Philippines used to, but in 2008... After international pressure and the passage of the Declaration of Istanbul, which dealt with issues of organ trafficking and transplant tourism, the Philippines banned the sale of organs. Important to note that under both countries' laws, when the Philippines was still allowing this, they only allowed for the sale of organs as long as the donor and the recipient were both natives of the country. Okay. All right. So, so that, that ends that tourism trans- yeah, exactly. aspect. Okay. Presently, in Iran, a system of free market and government control is used where donors sell their organs to the government who pays them with a kidney typically going for about two to $4,000 and the government gives them free health insurance related to any issues with a transplant for a year. Okay. Okay. Right? If you're going to do it, that seems like a way to do it above board. That's like, okay. Yeah. All right. 
and the recipients of the organ must work to pay off the cost of the organ. Okay. So, you know, yeah. It's still not a great situation, obviously, but... Right, and it's definitely a situation where poor people can definitely get taken advantage of, but that's... For sure. I mean, that's kind of just the world. Works. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In Iran, the organ market is thriving, and in turn, the wait list for donors has been virtually eliminated. According to a 2008 report, the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime has collected data on 700 incidents of organ trafficking, primarily in North Africa and the Middle East. Yet, these figures are conservative at best. The true scale of the industry is difficult to assess, as the majority of cases involved go unreported with victims reluctant to come forward for fear of deportation, arrest, or shame. Yeah, fuck. Right? It's like, Dawit. Yeah. Like, we're going to fucking deport you. Exactly. Or I feel like you might, I'm sure a lot of those might end in death and then they just cover up the fucking body. Like, and then nobody needs to know about it. You still got your fucking organs out of it. Like, who gives a shit if the guy died, right? Exactly. Is their mentality? Not my mentality, obviously. Right, of course. Yeah. The stories are grim and often impossible to confirm. And because black market organ trafficking requires so many people from the recruiter who finds the quote unquote donors to the brokers, to the medical professionals who perform the surgery, rarely are all members of this process ever exposed. So it's impossible to know just how large the trade may be. And I don't really have a good way to end this. Yeah, because it's still ongoing. It's still fucked up. Yeah, but that's the really real and horrifying story of human organ trafficking. Holy fucking shit dude i was not ready you're right i was not prepared for any of that i mean i wasn't when i researched it oh i was like i thought it would be isolated incidents yeah not government sanctioned no god i thought it would be like you get a story every once in a while about you know right and like here's how it could have happened and then here's the rebuttal of like what it actually was yeah like there was a story that i read in life science about a guy claiming that his organ was stolen when really it ended up that he had sold it, but he wasn't happy with the amount he got. So then he claimed it was stolen, which I mean, it still kind of technically is because if you price something at Macy's for $20 and you don't pay that amount, then you stole it. So that's, I expected more of that and not like, oh, by the way, China's been doing this for 20 years and And everyone's known and basically no one gives a fuck. Jesus fuck, dude. And that was such a good story. That was so fucking crazy, though. Thank you. Yeah, it is crazy. And it's one of those that I can't not know it anymore. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, no. And it just kind of live in the back of my brain. On the one hand, that's very upsetting to know. But I'd rather know that than just continue to think yeah. that doesn't exist in the world. Yeah, so, for sure. Fuck, dude. We kind of had an inadvertent theme this episode. I don't yeah. Know yeah. Taking things out, putting things yeah, in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look at that. Look at, Look at that. The fingers in the eyes. <laughs> fingers in the eyes. Always. Oh, that was a roller coaster, man. It was a roller coaster. Uh, I hope you guys were enjoying yeah. something to take the edge off because fuck. Uh, <sighs> that was amazing, though. Thank you. Yeah. Informative and definitely not where I expected my story to go. No, fuck no. <laughs> I did not expect it to go there either, but. Yeah. I'm glad you did. I am glad I am aware of the situation at least because that is one of the most horrifying, fucked up dystopian things I've ever heard. Yeah. And I 
if I can't do anything, then maybe at least bringing awareness to it is something. Like the least literally, you can do. Literally the yeah. least I can do. <sighs> Fuck. But yes, correct. <laughs> Fuck. Just period. Done. That's it. That's it. Declarative statement effect. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for, for being sticking it out. <laughs> sticking it out. This was a tough one. Thanks for being the best listeners ever. Elise, thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much for our candles. So excited. You're so sweet. We love you so much. We love all of you. You guys are amazing. Yeah, we're so fucking lucky. If you don't follow us already on Instagram, you should because we're going to put up the fucking crazy x-ray pictures. You got to see them. Like, they're fucking wild. They're fucking crazy. So follow us on Instagram at another fucking horror podcast. You can find me at Pin Up Girl Mo. You can find me at Lobotomy. That's Lobot, period 80. And every sixth episode is a True Listener Tales episode. So please send us your personal, creepy, weird, what the fuck stories. Yeah. True crime, cryptids, UFOs, ghosties. We want it all. We want all of it. You can send that to another fucking horror podcast at gmail.com with a period instead of the you and fucking. And guys, keep it cute. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye.